I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy everybody and welcome to Talking Simpsons, the nation's largest mental illness themed podcast. I'm your host, the funky but not threatening Bob Mackie, and this is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons. Who is here with me today in the same room? I'm a regular Billy Crystal. It's Henry Gilbert. You sure are. And who do we have on the line? My name's Brendan James, and I even came in early and made orange drinks. Mm, and today's episode is New Kids on the Black. Who are you? Oh, you'll find out in due time. Well, it says here your name is LT Smash. The time has come. I'm LT Smash. <laughs> Today's episode aired on February 25th, 2001. And as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real world history. <gasps> Oh boy, Bobby! The Legend of Zelda games, Oracle of Seasons, and Oracle of Ages are released for the Game Boy Color. U2 wins big at the Grammys with their Beautiful Day album, and Secretary of State Colin Powell visits Kuwait to celebrate a decade since Desert Storm hmm. and hopes that others in the Arab world will join him in wanting to contain Saddam Hussein's plans to develop nuclear weapons. Seems likely. Outcome yeah. likely. Yeah. <laughs> We're about like two, three, now a month, a month mm-hmm. into the W administration at this point. Well, the most oh, important yes. news, of course, are the Zelda games. Yeah. Uh, don't sleep on those. Nintendo didn't make them, but they are still very, very good. And the guy who now runs the Zelda franchise for Nintendo, he started there. Yeah. So if you like Breath of the Wild, maybe you like Skyward Sword. There's something wrong there, but, you know, see a doctor, <laughs> play those games. They're available on the 3DS and they're great. Maybe they'll be remade one day, I hope. Mm-hmm. They, they are both really, really good games. By, uh, those, I played... All of seasons and ages actually was like too much for my brain, and I just didn't want to read a fact for the whole thing. So I was like, "Ah, my my younger brother, he beat the whole thing and unlocked the super duper dungeon that you need to have, you know, the two games talk to each other." Uh, that was also part of like this wonderful consumer plan Nintendo got after Pokemon of like we can just sell two games <laughs> at the same time and people will buy. Uh, the kids gotta buy both. And uh, yeah, that U2 album with Beautiful Day, that was that was the theme of the year 2000. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think if we want to sum up pre 9-11 feelings that that song <laughs> Beautiful Day, I think really, really gets it. Nothing Ugh. could possibly <laughs> go wrong. You know, I, I actually it's, I might as well come out with this here. I I like U2 up until that album, basically. <laughs> Um, because I, I was going to say, this is a musical guest episode we're, we're talking about today. And had they already been on The Simpsons by this point, you two? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, they did the 200th episode. And uh, yeah, okay. Trash of the Cause Titans. Because I've never seen, we can talk about this more. I've never seen, you know, like a post-Golden Era episode. But I had seen screenshots and I, I noticed they were in their um, pop sort of era mm-hmm. outfit when they appeared on The Simpsons, which I don't know if that was actually what they were doing at the time they were on an episode, but they had their sort of like village um, people like like pop get up on. And I actually think pop is an underrated album, even though a lot of people hate it, because they put on the most ridiculous and expensive and gaudy tours ever. Bono like made up a bunch of characters. He actually had like a Joker character oh, yeah, yeah. that he played. What was it? Uh, Mal- Maleficent? He... No, not Maleficent. Uh, Ma- I think his Mephisto. name was Mephisto. Yeah. Did he channel that for his Green Goblin song in the Spider-Man <laughs> musical? He, he and you know, in '96, uh, he did. They did the Batman soundtrack song, "Hold Me, Kill Me, Thrust, Hold Me, Throw Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me." 
So a lot of people don't know that, but but Bono, way back in the mid-90s, said, uh, I'm going to become the Joker, and he did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this, uh, but this was the other side of the coin with him just singing about how beautiful days oh. are and see the world in green mm-hmm. and blue. And, and That's <laughs> when it uh, it's just like that was heralded as their big return because people were like, oh, they're done with all the irony and they're done with the big, you know, embarrassing, strange tours where they have people in cages. It's like, no, that was, that was them being cool and evolving. <laughs> This back to basics mom rock thing was was their actual uh, decline uh, as far as the real heads like me. You know, Brendan, you you are quite the expert on the uh, invasion of Iraq. Uh, and <laughs> I I mean, was that uh, this uh, visit to Kuwait? That was just pretty standard for for Powell at the time in the in the pre nine eleven days of the Bush administration, right? Yeah, they they were doing a lot of stuff like this even you know before 9-11 and actually funnily enough Saddam comes up in this episode as well because it was actually uh, even at this time I believe February 2000 that propaganda was starting to circulate from American puppets like Ahmed Chalabi that Saddam might be ha- might might be uh, screwing around with WMD and other things I, but specifically WMD wasn't just um, you know the kind of uh, liberal humanitarian arguments at that point there were already things being piped into certain outlets um, uh, whether or not it was directly from the Bush administration sort of doesn't even matter. There were certainly American elements who were encouraging it to happen. So you you had both the kind of diplomatic overtures like Colin Powell going to Kuwait and visiting all uh, 10 people in Kuwait, eight of whom were part of the royal family and saying, <laughs> we'll always defend this uh, this ancient culture. But then you also had the, the kind of nastier clandestine stuff going on in the background as well. It was wild to read this article on it from like CNN published at the time when I was looking up like, well, what was what was happening with like Iraq war stuff uh, when this episode aired? And it was, as CNN wrote it up, they were like, it was almost like a throwback, like, remember 10 years ago, (laughs) that thing? Well, Colin Powell's reminding us that they're they're still pretty into it. Yeah. Yes, (laughs) yes. And that was the problem, is that Saddam was still around. We hadn't knocked him off, Mm. and someone was eventually going to have to do that. Mm. Would it be a boy band? (laughs) I don't know. In case you don't recognize his voice, joining us today is Brendan James of the Blowback Podcast. He hosts with Noah Colwyn, acclaimed podcaster Brendan James. Welcome to Talking Simpsons. We are honored to have you here. It's an honor to be here. Uh, you guys have actually recently become, sounds very pretentious to say, but I don't really listen to podcasts. They're not really my my uh, choice. They're not my, my poison. But for some reason, listening to specifically the coverage of the decline <laughs> of The Simpsons, uh, decline seems like, you know, decline of great empires seems like something I'm uh, I'm drawn to. So I think that that's why I... I've really settled into a groove listening to the show. And uh, as we'll discuss, it is actually listening to your show has forced me to actually watch an episode of post golden era Simpsons, which I had never done before. I stayed ignorant and happy in my cocoon until now. <laughs> uh, I, uh, me, me and Bob are big fans of, of your podcast too. Oh, I, yeah. This caused me to re listen to season one of blowback. And again, it just like, I, I both love it and can only listen <laughs> so much because it like, it, I'm like shaking with anger. Yeah. Just like, I wasn't mad enough about this. My, like, my review is entertaining and infuriating, yes, but for all yeah, the right reasons. Yeah. Well, that's what I would be saying about uh, this show if I had watched The Simpsons as it was starting to get bad. Um, but yeah, we get that a lot. We get a lot of, um, I mean, it's very flattering and thank you guys for listening. I, I'm not trying to be too glib, but people love saying, yeah, no, it's it's really great, but I'm just angry all the time now and I'm in a horrible mood every time I listen to it. You go, oh, well, 
are we doing something good or not? I don't, I don't know. No, you, you really are. I, I have pointed people to, especially, you know, at the time we're recording this, uh, America just left Afghanistan. And so I think more people are thinking back to that era as well, especially if you are in our late thirties, early forties, uh, age group. I think, uh, I'll just say for myself, like, to a degree, I took the feel-good pill of the Obama mm-hmm, administration, mm-hmm. and I tried to forget. As well, I was very closely watching the Bush administration angrily at the time, but I wanted—I know I wanted to forget because it fucking sucked. And then to try to to be reminded again, I was like, I'm mad at myself too for trying so hard to forget at a time like it. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting thing specifically right now with the Afghanistan situation, um, I don't know what what you want to call it, deteriorating further um, or uh, change mutating just in general, um, is uh, the the Iraq war, I I was actually hesitant to do the first season uh, at all because I thought, well, everyone knows Iraq's bad now. Everyone knows it's bad. WMD weren't there. Why should we do this? And it was only until, honestly, uh, you know, as all good creations are, it came from pure spite. I just saw the uh, rehabilitation of, of of the Bush administration people uh, from the time, and to a degree, the Obama administration people. Obviously, they didn't need as much of a recovery tour uh, as the Bush people did. But under the Trump era, a lot of goofy stuff happened, including the whitewashing of that entire leadership that pretty much set the stage for most things people don't like about, uh, you know, the way that the country has uh, lurched into an even more grotesque form since. And so I thought, well, maybe it is worth going back and talking about Iraq. But Afghanistan, you know, is another, of course, important case. And honestly, at the time, um, you were liberal and good if you supported Afghanistan, the Afghanistan mm-hmm. war. And I think even more so uh, that that probably needs a I'm not saying every time no. I mention anything, people go, is that season three? <laughs> I'm not saying that's season three. Uh, you know, maybe someday we'll cover Afghanistan. At first, it was almost, again, so obvious to me as like, a, you know, an example. But uh, now, of course, we've got a new chapter, a uh, distinct chapter being written about it. And I I will say that uh, it was it was even more rare to see anyone thinking thinking critically about Hmm. Afghanistan. And it was often used as the good war opposed to the Iraq being uh, Iraq being the bad war. So there's a lot of uh, reckoning going on there too, I think. Well, I think this is the perfect episode for Brendan because it is dangling on the precipice of the end of history. Mm-hmm. And it's at a time when you can still, like one of the last moments in history where, at least in modern history, where you could still make fun of the military. Yeah, Which yeah. the Simpsons did a lot of in the 90s. The idea was, why are we still doing this? Who are these people fighting for? Mm-hmm. What's the point of all of this? Yeah, like think of that scene where... You know, they have Skinner in the 100th episode. Skinner re-enlists and he's, you know, he's this Vietnam vet and he's hanging out with a guy who's like, oh, uh, I, I saw combat uh, defending a Montgomery war. Yeah. <laughs> the the joke then was these these guys aren't fighting enough. What what a bunch of right. wussy army guys. Right. And I will say that uh, this episode, it first of all, the what, what's implicit, though, in that state in which everyone was sort of fine making fun of the military it should really shouldn't be this big you know what what are we doing in a couple uh, post-occupation countries but at the same time unless you were really willing to think that it was a full-on institutional uh sort of criticism going on in your head the, the flip side of that is that you were waiting for the next reason to support the military because as you say you it was sort of like well they're not doing anything we need to find something for them to do and even of course among liberals or people that felt enlightened about these matters a lot of them said no yeah war on terror it's it's 
it's clearly what we have a military for in the first place. And that's how the huge, the huge machine started to gear up again. As this episode goes as a criticism of the military. I'll be interested to hear your guys' thoughts because I, I don't know exactly what it's trying to do you other than that vague kind of um you know like ribbing of of how we're we're not invading enough places right now so maybe we shouldn't do any more military interventions in the future or maybe we should i i'm i'm curious what your read hmm. of the episode is later well uh well one more thing i want to say about blowback though to you that made me know that you were a real simpsons head is the expert use of clips clips from lots of stuff but whenever just you know a turn of phrase happens in just explaining the history of of the invasion of iraq or or of cuba uh that reaches a line that's sort of like the simpsons or it makes me think in my head a <laughs> simpsons line like then instantly the line is played in in the playback and i, yeah. I really love that we respect masterful I, clip use on mm, podcasts thank you it, it's it's part of the show of people um you know i should try to plug and pick up some people here while i'm here i guess it is part of the show that you know we we uh we are not pbs so i i like to kind of you know chop up a bunch of clips and audio drops along the way as we're talking about these these big sweeping forces of history and, and um awful grotesque moments in history and the simpsons lends itself great uh in, in a lot of cases and i i will say actually it's not the simpsons per se but in season two which is about cuba there is a CIA guy called his alias is called Frank Bender and <laughs> Noah and Noah um, <laughs> found a piece of trivia about the guy in one of the tomes that we went through in researching for these shows. And it said that he liked to refer to himself in the third person, <laughs> i.e. Bender it sa says this or <laughs> Bender's got, you know, got a good idea. And my head just flashed into that moment of the Futurama episode. I believe it's in season two where they're all talking after he suggests something and he goes, yeah, Bender's right. <laughs> I'm like, I have to find that clip. <laughs> but I didn't know exactly where it was. So I'm like, I'm looking on the Frankiac version of Futurama. It's not coming up. And I just threw basically like, you know, a shot in the dark i knew it was vaguely season two and early on in the season and i somehow like opened in hulu or whatever an episode and scrolled around and saw it and i was like there it is because mm -hmm. i was fixating on it and good point pender that's that's the kind of uh, it's not the it's not the archival work or the uh, you know the, the reading of uh, hundreds of books. It's those moments where you feel the work pay off. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, the Simpsons must have informed you a lot politically, too, I would assume growing up. Well, you know, that's I guess I should say uh, maybe not because <laughs> I have a bit of a. I, I'm sure you've heard this before with the many guests you've had on, but I actually was not only not allowed to watch it as a kid. My mom was pretty strict. Like I couldn't even watch rugrats uh for a while because wow. she had that approach that if kids talk if kids watch kids talk back on tv they will start talking back and that was the that was the ultimate fear for, for her and in fact i never talked back so her theory was correct i was a complete shy quiet <laughs> angel i was I, bart simpson was bart simpson was to her she was pretty liberal in other regards but she believed the kind of hw bush family idea of the simpsons as a corrupting influence you know wow. where bart was telling everyone to to consume his shorts all the time, etc. Well, we are cartoon uh, experts, and if she watched Rugrats, she would know only Angelica can talk to the adults. Yes, and yeah. she is punished for yes. sassing back. So. She didn't understand the lore. At yes, all. exactly. And I tried to explain. I tried to explain that to her at four years old that she wouldn't have it. Mm. So then, you know, I'd, I, I eventually I could watch Rugrats, but The Simpsons was. I caught maybe one or two episodes. I remember seeing Flaming Moe's as a kid, and then. 
for a long time, as they say, nothing happened. But then <laughs> I was older and I actually started to watch South Park before I ever saw The Simpsons because mm. I was in high school and the the censorship had kind of disintegrated. But I, I just thought The Simpsons had had so many seasons at that point that there was like no point trying to go back. And so I, I put it off for a long time. And then finally, my good friend, uh, Libby Watson, she's a reporter, uh, covers healthcare now. She, you guys may know her. Mm-hmm. Um, also a, a big Simpsons head. Mm-hmm. She said, what are you doing? This show is right up your alley. There's, there's I, You're going to consume it in a weekend if I give you this flash drive. <laughs> and I said, uh, okay. And she did give me a flash drive and I did consume it. And again, only seasons. I mean, I kind of breezed through one and two, but really seasons three through eight. And I think once or twice I dipped into nine, sensed a decline, mm-hmm. and then recoiled and didn't go any further. So I didn't watch it as a kid. I, I only watched it probably in my mid-20s. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I guess there are two kinds of people in the world, and Henry and I are the people who watched it with our parents. And as mm-hmm. someone who looked at my parents for guidance, they laughed and said, everything the show says is correct. Yeah. So I believe them. Sure. Uh, it's funny, though, because my dad, uh, big fan of H.W. Bush, but still liked uh, The Simpsons. Uh, my mm-hmm. my mom was the more liberal of the two. But well, also, yeah, I'm glad we had you on here, too, Brandon, because this is a music episode, and you were also a musician as well. Thank uh, you. Thank you. Not, not exactly in the, in the same genre as in sync i'd say but uh <laughs> well you know i'm 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 this is the blowback season two soundtrack is out i need to plug that as well if, if uh we're gonna say i'm a musician that's that's uh what i'm doing right now but the boy band option you know there's a lot of american tragedies that could be uh that could tap into that sound i think mm. so you know we could very well get there next time i don't know but yeah in sync uh too i should say as well i'm a little younger than you guys i I was born in 1990, so mm. the boy band phenomenon as well, as well as Iraq, by the way, like this was all, and the, Iraq, The Simpsons, boy bands, uh, these were things I didn't really like scrutinize as mm. f- for what they were until later. I would kind of vaguely hear about, you know, boy bands, Iraq, and The Simpsons uh, in my peripheral. Uh, so I didn't really listen to any of that stuff either. Uh, but I, I knew how, how obviously they were taking over the, the scene at that exact moment. Well, I was in the online internet trenches in 2001, and I can tell you that every episode around this time was the end of The Simpsons. Like, okay, now they did this. It's the end. This was considered a new low because for some reason we were all just so mad about NSYNC and boy bands in general. Yeah, yeah. In that mm. uh, the previous summer, South Park had the episode Something You Can Do With Your Finger. And it was, was going to bring that up. Exactly. It was a better episode about boy bands. It was a little more vicious what? about them. And told a better story yeah it's funny yeah. that not long after this the south park would do their simpsons did it episode about how they feel like they couldn't write anything because the simpsons did it before them but this was the opposite of that where the man yeah. trey because of their speed like they even uh, the simpsons was probably writing that episode this episode before july of to 2000 right. but the the south park got theirs up way sooner to jump on i mean this episode felt that was another reason i didn't like this one yeah at the time too it just felt late i was like i lived through all of the year 2000 we've heard the boy band jokes on every other sitcom like now now the simpsons does it it's what happens when you write yeah. your episode nine months ahead of time exactly no and and i i guess you guys could probably tell me is this the era in which they start to chase not only the you know renewed sense of relevance that South Park clearly has or but also the timeliness or the the insta commentary or an attempt at insta commentary as well 
Definitely. I mean, on commentaries, Matt Salmon, who's still with the show, has said they definitely felt the heat from South Park. South Park was the new hot thing. That's what they were a decade prior. And they felt a lot of pressure to stay relevant with relevant topics. Unfortunately, South Park famously, you know, has a one week turnover. Simpsons, it's nine months, as we mm-hmm. said previously on this podcast. Yeah, there's yeah. there's they, they don't have the speed of it. And plus, they were also feeling the burn of family guy being the new game in town and being allowed to be much edgier than they could be and these were uh you know edgy joke guys who tried to get in as many like dirty things as they could on simpsons but simpsons you know at its hardest in the tv series is like a a light pg-13 which really is not close to what south park and family guy were doing in you know 2000 2001 yeah, and to be fair, I, yeah. th- I think the expectations of the average Simpsons viewer in 2001 were a little skewed, especially if you're a young male, where it's like, oh, NSYNC is on. I hope they say they're dumb and gay. Yeah. But it turns <laughs> out they're fun superheroes who are funny and yeah. save the day and are embraced right. by the show. And I think, again, I'm like, why were we so mad at these? But at the time, you can see why people rebelled against this, because they wanted to see these these uh, young, uh, attractive men sent up or at mm-hmm. least take torn down. Yeah. And and because also South Park and I mean I I liked South Park too as a kid and I would still say that show's pretty good uh, through its first eight seasons too pretty much and I I then think it completely falls off as well and you know much like The Simpsons it has also now gone into a just ridiculous uh, undead state for the past several decades it doesn't need to be around anymore and it has also been left behind as far as you know what what it. Uh, it's it's trick, you know, but at the time, yeah, South Park, if they had a celebrity episode, it wasn't that the celebrity was guesting. It was that the celebrity would be ruthlessly skewered, whereas the Simpsons, even though they had always I mean, the golden years, they definitely um, would have celebrities on. But the point was not to see it, it just felt so cheap a- after this point where it was just to kind of be a gimmick and have ratings you know, uh, stay, I, I imagine to have ratings stay where they were. And with, with any sitcom, you know, it just became kind of a, an unfortunate uh, crutch, whereas South Park didn't have in sync on and then have to treat them nice. They could just ridicule uh, the idea of them or the figures themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, like South Park had corn on and that was cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, right, right. No, I, well, I was thinking real that, musicians, yeah. but also, but also that was a cute gag where they, they were yeah. do or whatever. Yeah. Right? No, I, I was thinking about this, too, because, you know, Woodstock 99 has been in a lot of the conversation lately. Uh, and I haven't seen that documentary yet. I kind of yeah. want to, though. It's uh, it's it's interesting. Our, our, our pals at Chapo did a very good review of it that also uh, captures a lot of the flaws of that documentary, mm-hmm. that it's kind of all over the place. But it did really capture for me, reminding me of how TRL, Total Request Live, was this battleground for young people who requested things because it was like if a thing for teen boys was number one you're like yeah like like eminem got to be number one this week and he'd do music videos making fun of the dumb boy band things that were number one half the time like it was either like blink 182 eminem or even tom green's bum bum song yeah those music videos were made to be saying like we're supposed to vote for us to be popular so it's not in sync or the backstreet boys yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Negative and, mobilization, I believe, exactly. is the term. <laughs> and I guess all, like older men like us might not realize it, but we are in probably the biggest era for boy bands. They're just not in America anymore. Like NSYNC yeah. and Backstreet Boys yeah. were huge. Did they have dipping sauces at McDonald's, <laughs> I ask you? No, yeah. they did not. I, I think, think like BTS is a thousand times bigger than either of those bands ever were just because mm. of the worldwide success they have. Yes, and I, I suppose I really don't know too much about the history of the genre. Was that sort of the breakout period for boy bands in general in that way? Like, well, I mean, you know, you had earlier '90s and late '80s. I imagine there was the template, really, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, they're referenced in this episode titled "New Kids on the Block," and then there's well, exactly. a joke about Menudo. So I guess kind of there's always been boy bands, but they've been I mean, like the '90s. Yeah, was sort of that decade. Well, it's like the ups and downs. And by the late '90s, it was coming back mainly uh a lot because of the orlando music scene uh which was based around you know <laughs> mega producer slash uh horrible monster lou perlman uh lou perlman. <laughs> yeah and and jive records and all that stuff like it did it pulled it off and there's something like beautifully late 90s or our friends at uh, podcast or i call it 2000 core yeah uh, just this like sheen to everything and this just gloss and the way all of them were sold and like it really does capture the film josie and the pussycats which is pretty much the plot of this movie or of yeah. this episode it also really captures that just perfectly like what this like right before 9-11 feel of culture was and uh, one of my ex-colleagues and still buddies, Felix, uh, he he is uh, definitely an aficionado of what I what you might call I don't know pissed music is sort of the, <laughs> the idea that you know stained uh, a, a lot of groups that sort of encapsulated after 9/11, much as the uh, slaughter we exported uh, during the War on Terror this musical version of that where you wanted to be pissed but you didn't quite know why or any really legitimate way to express it and you're just kind of like posing in this way or you know the the like what's that disturbed song down with the sickness right yeah he's like screaming at his mom and just calling her a <laughs> whore like it's he's not really talking about anything that makes you appreciate why he would be this pissed mm -hmm. but as similarly not to be too glib you know america in general was in one of those moods and the music uh, after 9-11, I think uh, certainly a subsection of it addressed that. The Simpsons will be right back. Next Sunday is the ultimate explosion of the boy bands. When Bart Simpson's party posse joins forces with NSYNC. Russ, Finn, Jiggy, Dosey Do. And close with a Matrix. NSYNC guest stars oh. on an all-new Simpsons. Welcome to the break. It's Lieutenant L.T. Gilbert here saying thank you to our big-time guest this week, Brandon James. If you enjoy him, you should really be checking out his awesome podcast, Blowback. Me and Bob are big fans, and it was such an honor to have Brandon on the show. Thank you so much. And you should know that this podcast only exists because of listeners like you who support me and Bob at patreon.com slash talking simpsons this is our full-time job thanks to supporters at patreon.com slash talking simpsons where five bucks a month gets you not only knowing you're supporting us but also access to dozens of exclusive podcasts like us covering shows the critic futurama king of the hill mission hill and coming very soon 
Batman the Animated Series, all in our exclusive Patreon miniseries. Sign up at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons right now to check all those out, plus a ton of other exclusive podcasts like us interviewing some people who have worked on The Simpsons for decades. Hear all of that at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. But if you want something as nice as a muffin basket from NSYNC, then you need to sign up at the $10 level at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. That premium level gets you all of that $5 stuff I just mentioned, but it also gets you one monthly exclusive podcast that's often over five hours long. You see, we have our sister podcast, What a Cartoon Movie, and once a month on there, we cover an animated feature film super in-depth in the same way we cover The Simpsons. Recent exclusives have been Lion King, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, This month, we're going to be doing The Road to El Dorado. Next month, the Batman Beyond movie, Return of the Joker, and a giant back catalog of films as diverse verse from Akira to a Goofy movie, Kiki's Delivery Service to Beavis and Butthead to America. Three years worth of What a Cartoon Movies, over 160 hours of exclusive premium podcasts in addition to all of the other $5 stuff you heard about before. Check it all out at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons right now. And, and for InSync, particularly, this was an interesting time in their arc. I'm not. This is not going to be a 10 minute history on, on InSync, <laughs> the band. But they got started in '96. They were formed by Perlman, and uh, and they were like a, uh, a related act to Backstreet Boys. Like it was Backstreet Boys, which was the A team. InSync was the B team. InSync then actually unlike a lot of people successfully sued lou perlman and got free of their contracts from them they, um, he, they said bye 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 right they, they did famously the, uh, the the album no strings attached was named that because they want were like oh we're out of that awful contract where he stole all our money yay and that got them ahead of backstreet boys they became the number one band in sync and hmm. and then when is there, is there any kind of like like oral history or book that actually is kind of because i am sort of intrigued by all of this is there like is this just all recollection that that you're that uh, it, you have it's partial or... recollection there is the uh i think it was on youtube like a youtube original documentary on the blue perlman uh crimes that that, okay. that the carter family the that aaron carter and nick carter that they were involved in in the making of and they interviewed a lot of the folks in it so that that's okay. helping some with the timeline but also i i looked up like okay what album was about to come out or what was the nearest album release to their appearance on this episode and they were four months out from their third album celebrity Mm. and once that tour was over then justin timberlake quit the band and that was the end of nsync as we know it and they've been whenever they get back together other than a couple random appearances on big tv shows nsync is a four-member band and they Mm. justin timberlake is far 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 away from them well the only way this episode 
could have aged worse is if Lou Pearlman were also a guest star on yes. the episode. Oh, jeez. Uh, it'd be funny, you know, when uh, Aerosmith was on the show, their pr- manager was like, put me in the cartoon too. Like, he's, yeah. he he gets in there. So they were lucky that Lou Pearlman wasn't there to insist on a, a scene for herself. This is a long preamble, yeah. but watching this made me realize, like, I know all these guys' names and I don't know how. Same with Backstreet yeah. Boys. And then I was thinking, I was doing some research and thinking, like, isn't one of these guys way older than the other ones? And yeah, Chris Kirkpatrick born in 71 timberlake born in 81 these guys are from different generations in this band i didn't know they span like that great of a distance in ages i always thought of fatone is the oldest he's not wow man patrick wow one of them one of them uh really sounds like billy west to my ear i think it might be timberlake when they when they are talking one of them i thought wait is this billy west doing doing a a a role and i was like no one of the nsync guys just really sounds like fly (laughs) Uh, you know, a lot of them, they, they're pretty interchangeable, the the NSYNC members, other than Timberlake, yeah. just because he became so much more famous. Well, I remember Fatone is the fat one. Lance, right. <laughs> Lance Bass is the one who came out. He's as Sephiroth gay. Also, also. Oh, he's yeah. also Sephiroth in the Kingdom Hearts games. Uh, <laughs> then uh, J- uh, then J.C. Chazé is the uh, the other guy. And then Chris <laughs> Kirkpatrick was on Fairly Odd Parents. That's how I remember that. So. No, it's very simple. I mean, if you don't know any of that, yeah. every kid knows that. Growing up. Yes, this episode was written by Tim Long. He had pitched it. He tells this funny story that Mike Scully was like, pitch something. I need pitches. You guys aren't giving me up pitches. Though this absolutely sounds like he said, let's do a boy band episode and we could probably get some famous boy band in the show. And like, yeah. they didn't know where it was going or how to end it. And George Meyer stepped in and made it a crazy military yes. uh, fantasy okay. episode at the end. And, and, okay. and George Meyer is, you know, a I, he reads is pretty politically left to me comparatively. Mm. Some Sometimes he reads like a left libertarian with some of his complaints, but he's uh, he especially having the idea of like a big military propaganda campaign yeah uh is is very much in his wheelhouse he seemed he re, I, I haven't uh read nearly as much as about the the writers and and the sort of uh, ethos of the show as you guys have i'm sure but he he's obviously incredibly funny let's get that out of the way i'm not i'm not judging anyone's politics uh, on the simpsons staff but he seems probably more like a uh like like a left liberal sort mm-hmm. of, of of a generation where yeah, you you were vaguely against war, but you didn't necessarily, you know, I wouldn't think that he was deeply political beyond kind of those principles uh, from the 60s. You know, Meyer, I think from the stories we've heard, he seems to the left of that. Like, yeah. there's, oh, okay. th- I think back to this great uh, joke they did about him on a commentary he wasn't on, uh, John Vitti. Uh, who's his brother-in-law, he joked about how in the Separate Vocations episode where Bart becomes basically a cop, I believe it was Vidi who said, if this episode got one kid to distrust the police, yeah. then George Meyer would be happy. Yeah, like, yeah. So, yeah it see, it's feels like the same kind of, if you like, Hollywood uh, leftism or Hollywood Marxism that's perfectly good as far as it goes. Like James Cameron, you know, I remember... I remember James Cameron said when he was uh, making, and you could read a lot into many of his earlier films in that way, but I remember he said something similar that he wanted the uh, T-1000 to be a police officer because he said, mm-hmm. you know, to a lot of people, it doesn't it, it doesn't evoke the same feelings of serve and protect that I think people where I come from feel. And he thought that would be an interesting thing to play with as a villain. And that's, you know, there's a performance in, in a lot of, you know, celebrity politics that I kind of just ignore. But I think he's probably coming from a sincere place there and and it, it's a it is a cool interesting thing to have in 
in in that movie. So maybe Meyer is kind of of that of that school in in, in Hollywood, or he's pretty left of most people who are actually just liberals or ignoramuses. They're not Marxists like the uh, like the newsletters my uh, my nana gets say they are. <laughs> George Meyer, in terms of comedy writing, he was known as like one of the funniest guys in the room, if not the funniest guy in the room. He would always pitch crazy things to make everyone laugh. But previous showrunners would be like, "That's very funny, George, but we can't put that in the show." Mm-hmm. I think Mike Scully thinking the show would end soon would go, yeah, let's just do that as our third act. So this era has a lot of very weird third acts. They dispose of the plot entirely, and it's this new crazy thing that's happening that kind of breaks the show. And I think George Meyer, we love him, he's funny, but he is responsible for a lot of this in this era. Yeah. I've I've definitely seen the phrase, quote, thinking the show would end soon, comma, explain a lot of you know things about why there was this uh, decline starting in nine onward because uh, even with josh uh, weinstein and and bill oakley they they seem to be under the impression in season eight that it would definitely. be the last season that's oh, yeah. why a lot of characters seemingly have their last episodes in their seasons like sideshow bob and you know uh they explain jebediah springfield and they explain itchy mm-hmm. and scratchy all of these deep lore things they dispose of homer's mother like they're just getting rid of all of these plot ideas because they assume As the show should have been because the show should have fucking ended <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna i'm not gonna be too much of a crank we all i think in our hearts we all know that i won't labor a point that everyone probably agrees with listening but i mean as watching this like i said it's my first one post good good times simpsons so much can be explained about what doesn't work by just the fact that it should be over there's nothing else you can do with a lot of these maneuvers and uh and devices anymore but anyway uh, so they all thought it was going to be ending soon well i i also think you know scully scully was one of the more celeb centered uh eras of the show maybe the most because you know in the first years there were in the first four years there were definitely guests and they really struck on something opened pandora's box with that baseball episode or softball episode yeah like they're just like oh all these stars and then i feel like in merkin's years like the only stars he really got were like uh, attractive actresses <laughs> he wanted to hang out with i think <laughs> yeah uh, it, it seems like uh fox and maybe james l brooks speculation of course that i don't think they really liked what bill oakley and josh weinstein were doing they because they wanted a bunch of old men <laughs> all of their guest stars were old dying men <laughs> and they were doing a lot of weird stuff with the show like things that we love today like the steamed ham sketch things like that experimental yeah. things uh, Scully and Gene were trying to ground the show a little more and get more famous people on after uh, Oakley and Weinstein left. I mean, uh, in in no previous era than Scully's would they have the episode of Homer befriends Mel Gibson. You know, yes. like they wouldn't they wouldn't have <laughs> Why done. Why not? That. Well, and hearing t- uh, Mike Scully tell the story of how excited his daughters were to meet in sync at the recording day, I was like, well, that's why they're on this episode. Like, there you go. I, again, Mike Scully, nice guy, cool dude. We we like him. But that that was one of those times. I was like, yeah, okay, that was the benefit of having in sync on. You get to look like super dad to your your daughters who love in sync. Of course. And, you know, again, anytime, you know, that I do pipe up about my just, you know, ultimate horror at seeing what, what the show would become, let alone a decade later, but even a couple years later, you know, I understand Scully and the rest, even the even the writers say they're trapped. I mean, they're, they're just the custodians of something that it's like you can't blame the people necessarily who are in the writer's room or who are running the show even at that point. They're they've got a job to do. They're going to do it. I mean. What is there to say, you know, beyond that? (laughs) 
And uh, and this commentary is interesting, too, because Chris Kirkpatrick is there for it. So I think they were uh, they're a little Mm. nicer than they might have been about having (laughs) it sync on, though. There's at the end of the episode, there's also footage of them in the show, Mm -hmm. uh, the whole band doing their vocal parts, which I'm really glad they kept that in there because the gloss of advertising this needs to be saved forever. Like that that is part of the story. Look how much fun we had. (laughs) It's really funny, though, that they they dump on Timberlake so much in this when he would become like mr comedy and like a member of the snl cast basically and all that i he's funny enough i guess mm. for a pop star i don't know i i don't i think we encouraged him too much a little too much yeah yeah <laughs> i like him in southland tales uh that oh God. yes <laughs> where the where the rocks the president as he will be someday in real life go back and watch it folks there's a <laughs> lot going on in there uh well speaking of presidents the chalkboard oh gag in this one i i don't think anyone accuses us of not working hard enough on the show but i started prep for the show and then i spent 20 minutes talking with henry about this chalkboard gag and figuring it out and we finally did because it's related to i mean every president is uh, crooked and awful they pardon the worst people on the way out but this is about clinton pardoning uh, mark rich and his partner yeah. pinkus green one of the biggest scumbags in the history of tax fraud but it was implied and uh that this pardon was bought off because um, Rich was a big donor to the uh, Democratic Party, to uh, Hillary Clinton's Senate campaign, and to the Clinton Library. So that's what this chalkboard gag is representing, that pardon in particular. Yeah, I, I mean, Clinton got flack for pardoning a ton of people basically on his last day. But Mark Rich was the standout case, you know, the reporting subsequently you know centered around the idea that it was it was a bribe uh, that he bribed his way into a pardon and i should mention he was also uh, partially on the lamb because he did illegal business with both iran and iraq <laughs> uh, that's and, right and his associates uh, against sanctions yeah, that's uh, a real businessman <laughs> doing both sides yeah, of I mean, it yeah he, he he'll, he'll he'll talk to anybody uh so so that was uh, actually part of why people were critical and in fact hunting down mark rich and uh well and another one in there i was shocked well i i i just i remembered it at the time it was the first time i paid attention enough in politics to be like oh people are mad at pardons at the end now i learned that like well that's every president Mm -hmm. at the end of their term like trump's were fucking crazy (laughs) but even by those standards but but there was one i was like oh this guy mel reynolds who was a former democratic congressman slash like sex criminal i was like holy shit could i couldn't imagine even on his last day joe biden uh, uh doing that for a guy of that caliber but that was shocking well you never know but <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you, you, i was about to say just, just stay tuned we'll figure it out yeah but so that's the that's why the chalkboard gag at the start of the episode is i will not pr- buy a presidential pardon old slick willy yeah. yeah always with the smooth talk there's there's a bit later in this episode where they say like the new administration i feel like this was written assuming al gore was president when this would air hmm. i think i i would figure most people in hollywood were writing jokes about an al gore presidency and you know he he was going to win because he did win yeah uh, so there was there was a confidence there um <laughs> nine months in advance or not there was a confidence there in general yeah i, I think there's probably a, a whole a whole uh, show to talk about you know how the entertainment industry uh had to rejigger everything once florida uh, swung things for bush in general yeah and uh, yes this episode begins with some olympics comedy which 
is like eight months after the Olympics happened in right. the year 2000. Right. Yeah. But Why? Why would you do it knowing the time? Why would you still put it in? It feels like it was probably written around the time the Olympics were airing. Yes. If it was uh, so far, you know, removed from uh, the air date. And, and as you may know, the Olympics uh, committee is very litigious. So you can't actually, uh, they, as Fox would warn them, you can't really draw the rings. You have to make them a parody in some way. And their way yeah. around it in this is their rings on the on the uh, kitchen table. Yeah, like condensation rings. And I guess you can't color them, but you can display. No one owns like the idea of rings hooked together, but the certain colors are the actually, trademark logo. I, oh, shit. I, I own that. So. <laughs> they owe uh, you a you lot of money. License, you have to license what you just said with me at the end of the show uh, you know what i should have made a, a sound effect for this by now but this was definitely one of those matt Groening wasn't around things hitler jokes <laughs> matt Groening doesn't like hitler jokes he tried to stop him whenever he could but uh, there's we got double hitler jokes here and, and but it is also the return of old Hitler yes. jokes that Simpsons had already done at this point. I, I kind of I kind of enjoy those, although I could have used a third Hitler in 1984. I think yeah. that this string of jokes was missing, and oh, even older Hitler, like in a wheelchair, about to die. <laughs> That's why I didn't laugh, is because, well, I don't know if it would have made me laugh necessarily, but I was waiting for a third piece that would have kind of tied a bow on it, and they just sort of give up. Uh, but these are semi-accurate statements here. Bob Beeman's record at the 1968 Mexican Mexico Olympics was uh, world breaking. It was 8.90 meters, which is close to 30 feet. Uh, and it, it's still it is still the Olympic men's record to this date. Uh, there's there have been guys who have done long jumps outside of the Olympics that have gone farther, but at the Olympics, Bob Beeman's is still the record. Uh, but I think really the way, reason they picked 1968 in Mexico is it is south of the border in the <laughs> 60s when it is conceivable an aged Hitler would be in attendance. That's I think that's why. And uh, and Carlos Lopez of Portugal was the first gold medalist to win and uh for that country and uh he set a marathon record for years uh but he was 37 and not oh. 38 when it happened so, so well so i guess homer is also roughly 37 even <laughs> though he's 39 at this point i also looked up like oh who are the oldest gold medalists but there's there's like there's gun shooting things in the olympics that just fucks it up so it's like oh it's like multiple guys and uh people who were in their 60s but it's like yeah it's marksmanship things like oh but it, it doesn't feel doesn't feel as special no no offense to those gold medalists who <laughs> i'm sure they work very hard in marksmanship uh but yes homer gets as as often happens in the scully years they watch something on tv and get uh get inspiration in our first clip and in 1984, Portugal's Carlos Lopez becomes the oldest Olympic marathon winner ever at age 38. 38? That's roughly my age. Marge, after a lot of thought, I've decided to run the Springfield Marathon. Oh, please. You get exhausted watching the Twilight Zone Marathon. <laughs> I'm a regular Billy Crystal. You got that right. Well, Dad, I think running's good exercise. It adds years to your life. Stay out of this, Lisa. Marge, I've made up my mind. I'll do your job for a day, and you do mine. Then we'll see who has it tougher. <laughs> and Marge just shrugs. Like, I don't know. Like, Homer <laughs> has decided that's the plot of this episode. Uh... But I guess somebody put him back on track. They're like, no, yeah. no, no. The the opening at first act gag is the marathon, not switching jobs. But 
that that's an early yeah. tip off how little they care about the plot in this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I yeah, because I mean, in in the old episodes, you'd get that completely dissociated first act, and and that was the way they did the show, where it goes takes a different turn. But this just feels like rudderless, rather than <laughs> a format that subverts your expectations in the course of a normal Simpsons episode. Because yeah, what what is the switching? Jo- is it just a joke? You're kind of expecting then a gag where Marge is forced to do something that homer has to do and then it just no scene just ends that's that's it uh i mean marge is confused as you are that's yeah. uh, i guess yeah, yeah with, i guess this is what we're doing within the show yeah. they're just like I, homer forgot his line like marge is like the actor forgot his line he's supposed to be in the marathon <laughs> it and is I, the animated equivalent of someone <laughs> just going like i i forget what you know but that shouldn't happen in animation and here we are I don't think it was theft, but a lot of this early stuff in this episode reminds me of a critic episode yep. because, I mean, there are only so many fat guy runs a marathon jokes, but Jay Sherman basically goes through the same arc. <laughs> I I wonder if just to Al Jean, running a marathon is like something he always wanted to do or mm. something he always dreamed of doing or what but it it comes up a lot but this this has a lot of similarities to marathon mensch uh that episode of the critic except that was the a plot of the episode not the the opening gag though in his case he actually did finish a marathon after like a month he did the new york well at least there you could get jokes about the new york marathon instead of just like simpson the just what happened in springfield marathon i I do like that you're I'm a regular Billy Crystal. You've got that right, meaning she's bad at telling jokes. That that also feels like the writers mocking themselves of the just Marge's joke of uh you barely finished the Twilight Zone marathon. That feels like it was just in the script and then another writer said, God, that sucks. Like Billy <laughs> Crystal would tell that shit. And they're like, Oh, put that in. Put it's, that it's in. It's always nice when Marge is tickled by her own jokes. I like that. I do like that. And also this is when Lisa can't win for trying. You know, normally Lisa and she'll do it later in this episode, say, Boy, this script sucks or whatever. But here she's supportive of Homer's idea, but even then Homer dumps on her for thinking that. It's like, Well, I'm still gonna you stay out of this, Lisa. <laughs> stay out of this. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and so yes, then we head to the race. Ned is looking uh, very buff, his his correct buff design. So they then a couple times they mess it up, and he's not he's not fit. But Ned needs if you're gonna see Ned's body, he's got to be got to be a hunk. Yeah, uh, we get a joke that Homer put uh, nipple tape on the third nipple, which uh, okay is that secretly crusty as Homer? Hey, wait, this is the minute. Homer is crusty conspiracy theory. Mm, you're Right. Yeah, the superfluous third nipple. <laughs> uh, and uh, but you know, nipple tape was all in the news back then. We were all like, "Oh yeah, guys." Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> we <laughs> we all all worry about chafing our nipples running. Uh, and uh, and then the they start the race. The marathon begins, and and we get a couple of okay marathon jokes here. Attention runners, on your mark, get set. Now get out of here before I change my mind. I can't believe it. I'm actually running a marathon. Oh, I hit the wall. This is so painful. Hey, I got my second wind. Oh, another wall. Woohoo, third wind. Faster, rickshaw driver, faster. Ow. Sir, the whip isn't helping. Silence. You call yourself Chinese? Ah. (laughs) I did like the line, you call yourself Chinese. That gave me a laugh. But the, I guess too the marathon thing. You know, I've never, uh, I've never even thought. Uh, I, you know, I don't think I could do a marathon now either. But I've, I can get up to like about 
six miles in my morning walk now if I really push myself. But uh, my mom ran a marathon once. She worked toward it for a couple years, and hmm. and she had gotten really good at you know long distance uh, jogging. But she said after the marathon, she was like, "I am dead. Like <laughs> I worked to this for two years, and it, it killed me." I was watching uh, some of the marathon at the recent Olympics over the. Uh, I was at a bar, so you know, perfect place to watch people. You know straining themselves and pushing themselves to the limit and i was telling my wife like what i associate with marathons most are the the photos of them coming over the finish line and just shitting themselves yes yeah just shitting and pissing themselves it's all i consider marathons in my head just like yeah that's the event where you poop yourself at the end right i wait until it's basically over and then i can just see that that's the show yeah they can air that on tv yeah you can't no. get highlight footage on the olympics they they don't let it anywhere <laughs> that's true uh, yeah it burns burns whipping smithers but also i feel like the whip needless whipping feels like it's it's happened already before in the simpsons like is the whip really yeah, necessary yeah but. it's like how many times have we seen smithers do that you know just be carrying him or be driving him i, I can just i'm sure i'm probably multiplying the actual amount of times but that's just how rote it feels at this point you know? I, I not to get like you know drill down too deep on this joke but i think it would have been funnier if smithers enjoyed it and yeah. just say you know just call me fu manchu sir and he takes off faster <laughs> or something i don't know sure, sure. he Anything, enjoys the abuse it, yeah it just felt rote Smithers yeah. shouldn't be complaining. He should be accepting it. Yeah, that's that's more Smithers. I uh, I will compliment the accuracy of the Flash costume that uh, that comic book guy is wearing. It very is, good. It's all very accurate. It's accurate to, especially if you look at the belt lining of the lightning on it, it is accurate to the then Wally West costume that was wearing. It, it It's hmm. lightning that points down. If it was a circle around belt, that would be the Barry Allen costume, the Silver <laughs> Age Flash. So. And again, a very oh, 2001 cool. joke. Only nerds care about superheroes now yeah. these movies are mandatory yes you must yeah uh is it feeling like it's it's uh i don't know there's been a couple uh, superhero movies now that came out that didn't feel the same i i wonder if covid i'm wondering if covid killed the superhero movies i'm wondering well i i've i've always been waiting for the turn because you know they, they can do a lot of stuff even if an ip or a genre that, that you know we're all force-fed is starting to get old they can switch over to tv which they've clearly done with a lot of the ips um that that may be, you know, some version of the future. I remember when Solo bombed that Star Wars spinoff, uh, they were like, well, we're not doing the Boba Fett movie. We're going to make it a Boba Fett TV show. And then that turned into the, the mandolin. And then the other <laughs> sort of way you can think about it is that there's just diminishing returns. And, you know, I... I just don't think you can replicate another decade of the baseline charisma of Robert Downey Jr. plus uh, then a stable of other actors. Like, you can't just do that again. Studios like to think you can just do that again, but you will have to change things. And it, it seems like so many things, a bubble where they fucking roll out those timetables, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the, those timelines, honestly, kind of like how Rumsfeld used to roll out the Iraq <laughs> plans in Congress. <laughs> and he's like, don't worry, we have a five-year plan here. And, you know, everyone wants, everyone, you know, as, as anti-socialist as America is, everyone loves a five-year plan when it, because it makes you feel like you're being taken care of. It makes you feel like there is someone looking out for you. And since no one is doing that materially, you know, we everyone gets a psychic wage from seeing like, oh no, but they, they've planned at least 10 years ahead with these Marvel movies. Like people are thinking of my needs and what, what I'm gonna get. It's all gonna be okay. But of course, none of it's material. And it's probably, 
it's probably fictional too. Not fic- not that planning is fictional, but that the Marvel plan is fictional because I, it's all reliant on that movie magic, you know, mm-hmm. on on that level of like charisma and risk. And I've just I'm kind of waiting to see when when it implodes because it can't they they can't just replicate it, you know. And uh, so on the DVD, there are three deleted scenes here uh, after after Homer's funny morph between looking like Abe and himself. I compliment Stephen Dean Moore and his animation team. I think they did a good job with that joke. Uh, but so there's three deleted scenes. Mo- I think almost all the deleted scenes are from the the marathon part, which totally makes sense because yeah. you're not going to cut the boy band stuff as much. But and these are all good cuts. Uh, one is Homer's internal organs talking to each other about how they're in horrible pain uh then there's a joke of homer uh getting to the end of the race and being dragged off by hyenas there's a joke about how there's a guy from australia and a guy from djibouti we see them later right yes uh and you may be thinking like boy they just left djibouti hanging there well in the lead scenes they didn't they had uh the most obvious joke that they definitely rightly cut Disco Stu shows up and he says, did somebody say shake Djibouti? Oof. And uh, <laughs> at the very least, Lisa then says, no, they said Djibouti, a country. Oh, okay. Sorry, I have ear, inner ear damage. And he walks away. But I'm, I'm glad they cut that Yeah, joke. sensible cuts yeah. all around. Yeah. <laughs> this is making it worse. Sorry. <laughs> I'm showing you the worst. So, uh, hey, the fact that they cut it, it shows some level of taste on their part. They're like, oh, that joke I, sucks. <laughs> I'm trying to get that from it, but I'm just getting more depressed anyway. It's just sad. But, hey, disparaging the Italian race. We're all yeah, for that, right? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. On this podcast. So Bart shows up at the end of the race basically in a Chico Marx costume, uh, and uh, an Italian wins. Two weary warriors now burning with pain and exhaustion. But only one will win the grand prize, a walking tour of Springfield. (laughs) (laughs) That tour is mine. (laughs) Well, hold the phone, Dora. A new challenger has emerged out of nowhere. He's running on sheer pluck, moxie, and grit, all of which he'll be tested for after the race. Folks, our winner seems to be from Italy. I love you all. I use up all of my English. I like Nancy's bad Italian accent made me laugh. I like that. I like that he has a giant ridiculous mustache that is instantly pulled off by a bird that reveals the lie like it's but the 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 most I laugh at these are them like shoving in your face like we don't care like this is a dumb plot yeah like, this, we're not interested in this I, I kind of forgot how they got to LT Smash from here and then he just kind of shows up I I will tell you before watching this episode again I had forgotten everything about the marathon me stuff. too I did not remember the marathon stuff as related to the InSync stuff I completely well, forgot it because it I mean it doesn't really work you know well, why does bart cheating in the race qualify him to be in a boy band lieutenant or sorry lt smash <laughs> says it's because Spoilers. he's a reb yeah says it's because he's a rebel but bart doesn't do anything for the rest of the episode as a boy band rebel type when he's in the boy band really he just does they all do the same thing it's just so clear that this is an excuse to get us to the boy band to get us to in sync cameo 
to get the episode done, you know, cut print. You <laughs> it's know. it's just about a lot of handoffs from one point to another. Like, well, we got to, okay, we got to fill five minutes. Well, they can watch a minute of stuff of Olympics on the TV. And mm -hmm. we got about four minutes of the race. <laughs> we have to assume LT Smash was at this uh, marathon thinking if a boy sabotages this. Yeah. Why is he at the marathon <laughs> yeah. scouting at the marathon? Oh, uh, man. I also now to these jokes about, they do a slight, they do like one little stranger danger joke but the joke of a man uh picking up bart in his car it feels uh, it's not, it's more uncomfortable now the more you know <laughs> about the many um horrific actions done by music producers in the world which which were also like known at the time in the 90s like there were tell-alls about the music producers of the 50s 60s and 70s who also did these sure. things but i don't remember is it is it like a gag where there's a there's a joke about how he's getting picked up by a producer or is i don't even remember there being a joke it's like a stranger versus mob he picks yeah. a stranger yes yes stranger uh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah i yeah. I do think it's accurate that Mo would be the one to uh, propose murdering a child. Like he would be the one like, yeah, let's kill this kid. Yeah. That's, which he knows sure. is not just a kid. He knows Bart and he's like, yeah, kill Bart. We're going to kill him right now. Beat him to death uh, on, on the steps of city hall. We're going to beat the, the child to death with that's, our shoes. Yeah. With his shoes. They're going to trample him. Yeah. It's, but yes, Bart runs away. He gets in a car. That's where there's another, just the, the opening line bit. I do like him says him saying, well, it says here, you're LT smash. The time has come. I'm LT smash. Yeah. Uh, that's not bad. Then some very corny jokes about 2000 core kind of like slang of chilling in cribs. I, didn't like that. In general, the episode, we're jumping ahead a bit, but writing it so that NSYNC are using slang like G-Money and kick it old school is just so obviously embarrassing. It's like what old, peop old people in 2001 think that yeah. all young pop stars talk like. It feels like uh, funky grandma humor where it's just bit. like, isn't it funny how these, these characters are saying these things they never say? Homer shouldn't say chill in the crib. Yeah, But, but also like in sync as a, as a band that they're tapping into that people recognize as, a, as public figures, they didn't say G money and uh, I'm kicking it old school when they like showed up on MTV, did they? Or did they, mm. did they talk like that? I don't know. No, Maybe actually, uh, Justin Timberlake protested about having to say word. Yes, so they just yeah. put it in his character's mouth a bunch of times yeah. as a so joke. It's, like, it's just sort of, I don't know what it's trying to do other than, again, an old man idea of that young people all talk like the hippity hop. You know, uh, though there, there's a couple good lines in this uh, propositioning of Bart to join a boy band saying like, there's a place in it for Bart, my Bart. Like, <laughs> that's a good I like that line. I also like Homer's like, we're not signing anything unless it's a contract. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's good. That's good. There's these, uh, Brandon, you may have noticed when we talk about these uh, late episodes, we've like, we, we want, we're panning for gold. We're like, oh, yeah. that's, a, that's a good line. There's a good line. And a lot of them that I noticed, I, I won't lie and say I was, I was really laughing through most of it. But again, this is, you're dealing with, you know, a, a fresh, fresh faced young <laughs> fan. But, but uh, it, it tends to be, I, I think, the throwaway lines that are funny. It's, it's not, for me, it was, not usually anything related to the thing that's really supposed to be the main funny part of the show. It's just their instinctual sort of vocabulary in the Simpsons of what Homer might say off, you know, about one little detail, you know, that's a funny reaction or that's a funny thing to throw away. But uh, so you can get some something out of those moments, I think. 
I, I also, I, I remember in 01 feeling like I was kind of tired of the joke. I had heard so many jokes about like, didn't you, you ever notice every boy band has to have guys in certain like types? And I was like, yeah, the, the, how Bart's the rebel. I was like, yes, I heard, I heard that joke on South Park. I heard it on multiple MTV sketches. There was an entire MTV movie about making a fake boy band. Right. It was like together. Together. And the, uh, that, Chris Farley's brother was yeah, in it. Yeah. Yes. The Chris Farley's brother. Yeah. And they, they cast one actor because he was a sickly young man and he passed away during Jeez. the making of the series. It was, there's a lot of, yeah. So, but but the point is i was very tired of jokes about like bart's the rebel and this guy's the this guy i was like yeah yeah i, I get it boy band jokes it's like it's the same deal it, it worked better but when they did their behind the music episode i was like every show did behind the music mm -hmm. snl did 800 behind the musics before your behind the music episode well, it, it, it might have even been funnier if they just again just did the opposite and they have you know uh ralph is the bad boy you know whatever just like put the wrong people in the wrong roles something new about it but they just go uh bart's the rebel nelson's the tough guy millhouse is the sensitive or whatever they do like it just mm. conforms to, y you've already finished the joke in your head because it's so predictable and then i think you know more disappointingly for the rest of the episode they they don't they don't use any of that like nelson is not yes he's out of character the entire episode there are zero jokes using nelson's personality uh if he were in a boy band he it could have been any student it could have been fucking peter griffin who cares like <laughs> at that point it doesn't matter you know yeah i guess i guess the joke is that nelson and milhouse are way out of character but then you lose the character that we love about them i think the one milhouse line that we get is no one said there'd be boasting yes but that's yeah. basically it and yeah you're totally right about that ralph does say ralph like things but even he's yeah. muted a little bit Right. Yeah, and that's what that's just all he does at this point as a character so you know. though though uh yeah so when it comes back from the break after they sign the contract bart meets the rest of the party posse and my favorite stuff in this clip is bart pointing out how badly this is written <laughs> that why would it be his classmates there Bart, i want you to meet and greet the other members of the party posse he's smart he's soulful He's Millhouse. What up, G-Money? Next, he'll break your nose, your glasses, and your heart. Nelson. Wait, these are just guys from school. Who's next, Ralph Wiggum? Whee! I'm a pop sensation. And I'm the Mac Daddy behind such groups as New Kids in the Ditch and Boy Nudo. I'm going to make you stars. Boy Nudo makes me uncomfortable, I yeah. think. <laughs> Especially because it is then followed by a um, very gay stereotype telling boys to be hot and grab their crotches and like the bit of what? him later of him being very turned on by the kids i was like i don't like this yeah I, did I you recognize him henry uh it's, well yeah it's the he was already used before wasn't he in the lisa trainer. the beauty queen that's right he was yeah. the guy uh, very huffy about the dance steps like mm. it's step pivot turn uh, i i looked up uh reactions to the episode at the time just kind of cursory glance uh one critic called that the funniest part of the episode mm. was that character i was like that's like five seconds of the episode and it's not funny uh, what, yeah. how, how what was wrong with people because these are for people reviewing it at the time and there was like that was such a classic moment from that episode it sucks <laughs> Yeah, I uh, well, I mean, it was a lot more homophobic back then, too. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, yeah, it's uh, uh, the Fosse, but yes, Bob, you are also right. In Lisa Beauty Queen, this exact same joke was in it, except it was with the girls instead of the boys. That was the one that they even just reused. I, <laughs> I wonder if they had 
animators are like, hey, this is the same joke. Let's just why did let's not design a new yeah. guy. Let's just get the same we've, Bob Fosse guy. We've got a guy. I mean, homophobia was popular in two thousand one, and uh, electric boogaloo jokes were still fresh. Still very fresh. Still yeah. fresh. Boogaloo colon electric. Yeah, that was cute. That was all right, but. Uh, but yes, the kids are given their first song, and uh, this is when they have to deal with the fact that children can't sing. Okay, your toods are fly and your threads are dope. All that's left is the singing. Party posse, we rule the earth. The greatest band since music's birth. Isn't this song a little boastful? No one told me there was going to be boasting. <laughs> Just take it from the top. Party party party. Party. We, we rule, rule the earth, earth. The, the greatest, greatest band since music's breath. Mm. Thank you, NASA. We love to sweat and we love to sing. We're real funky but not threatening. We're the best band in the world. But we'd give it all up for that special girl. So, yeah, for a long time, I thought that was in sync doing mm-hmm, the singing, mm-hmm. but it's not. It's the defunct boy band uh, Natural, uh, who were also represented by Lou Pearlman mm-hmm. at the time. And my major issue with this episode is that the songs aren't funny. Uh, they're not mm-hmm. heightened enough. These could all just be boy band songs because so many of these boy yes. band songs of the era are just like one tortured metaphor. And they're like 5% heightened. It's not funny enough. I have one note here because you guys are like, yeah, you write stuff down. If something comes to you, I have one note written down. It is <laughs> the songs are not funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they take it's, up a lot of space. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you that it's it's just verging on very, very light parody that, the again, at the time there was a cheekiness about some of the... The self-awareness, uh, you know, whether it be in videos or, or in the song lyrics themselves. So if you're not even approaching the level of satire that the bands themselves are doing at the time, it's just it's just not going to work as a device. Yeah. yeah. In- NSYNC actually had more satiricalness in their own <laughs> videos, making fun of how uh, manufactured they were to a point. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, the songs are written by uh, Tony Battaglia, uh, who was hired because he did these sort of productions. He wrote songs for like Mandy Moore. Apparently he was extremely prickly. He was yes. kind of an asshole to work with. And on the commentary, Tim Long says he was just bossing around these natural guys. He was like, jerk one, get in the booth, except he didn't say jerk. Yeah. I, I want to hope he said asshole and not the F slur. I would hope. Man. But uh, yeah. yeah, he was a real uh, prickly pair to work with. But yeah, I guess they told him like write boy band songs with some instruction, but he just wrote kind of straightforward songs. That, that also feels like a dereliction of duty by the Simpsons writers. Like you write the songs, like you write the yeah, lyrics. Why aren't they funny? Yeah, yeah it, I, it felt, I mean, I, I've never met Tim Long. It felt a bit half-assed because he said at the table read, there were no songs. Uh, so this was yeah. a bad table read because it was just like, all right, Nancy, make something up, make something up funny, and then we'll eventually hire a guy to write some songs so uh, all they knew was like let's get in sync and that was the driving force of this episode there was no other intent there in the beginning yeah and and that that sort of become even though it's not in sync I, I i was wondering it didn't sound like in sync though i'm not an aficionado i've just some somehow sensed it wasn't probably them what you just described that's when it becomes clear in the episode and my like the grinch heart went down a size again <laughs> as, as that happened i was just like oh, i'm even more contemptuous of this now because as you're pointing out I, I agree with you guys that the parts that still are funny in the in this zone of the simpsons are when they are telegraphing to you 
this is all pointless. We don't care. And, and we are aware of it. But at a certain point, you got to say, well, then I don't have to fucking have anything less than contempt for this either. If you just have <laughs> contempt for this, then, you know, what is the audience supposed to do? Where does that leave the audience? You know, it's a dangerous thing to tell the audience you don't care like that. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a real gamble. The natural's job was to sound like in sync. Like they, if, if the, the Perlman factory was to train boys to all sound the same way. And, and that Tony yeah. Battaglia guy, apparently he was doing Bart. The other four, three kids oh, okay. were, were the members of natural and Bart was Tony uh and yeah it sounds like he wasn't the nicest guy <laughs> uh, but I, I i like it to go back to what i said before drop the bomb that spelling bee song that enlist my heart those could all just be songs like how is that more ridiculous than britney spears like i am my heart or email my soul or whatever the hell she was running at the time like how are, how are they any different yeah i guess the, i guess the visuals going along and we'll get to it i suppose but the drop the bomb visuals are are gags yeah you know yeah. even if the song if the song itself is really not lyrically coming up with jokes but and uh the voice enhancer also teaches them choreography somehow but uh but yeah so uh this is a joke about auto-tune uh in 1998 shares believe uh mainstreamed it and made it famous and then it's just in everything now in ways often you don't notice i looked up because you know he says thank you nasa i was like well who did invent auto-tune and uh i really should have seen this coming but uh, it's related to big oil really uh, yes the cnn did an interview in 2015 with the creator of auto-tune the program uh and he was a scientist who worked for big oil companies at the time he was working for Halliburton and uh, Halliburton was looking for a way to apparently if you can measure sound better you can tell the depth of a well for oil so he made this <laughs> this sound leveling program and then he found wow. out as a side thing to helping Halliburton make way more profits on oil he also was like oh this could like you know make voices sound different there was that a, is mm. fascinating. I did not know that. You guys really, <laughs> I, I realize you stumbled into that one, but this could not have been a more perfect episode yeah. to uh, cross, cross-pollinate. cross I, I couldn't believe that Halliburton literally, it came up organically in my research, yes. It felt like there was like a two or three year period at the beginning of the last decade in the 2010s where everything it was like an auto-tune joke. Let's let's auto-tune this. I think mm. I think we're over that now, aren't we? Yeah, the, what was it? Auto-tune the news. The news, was, right. Uh, well, that's a very viral oh. Hit at that, the was, time. that was my favorite. Um, now, now we slow jam yeah, the news. Uh, <laughs> then you slow now, jam it with uh, Brian Williams. Now yeah. we make it good news. Mm. Now, now the news is good, Bob. We get some good news. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the the they sing so many songs. That's also what I forgot. It's like, oh, there's like five original songs in this episode, which when you're thinking about it from a writer standpoint of, well, that's some filler. If you can just fill out like of the 50 pages yeah. you need, 10 of them are, and then this song, and then that song. Like, it, uh, Yeah, Algene and Mike Reese said they love songs because they're never cut and they take up so much space that you don't have to write. Yep. So yeah. they always are nice filler. Sure. Uh, and, and there's something to that, I you know they're they're working but but i didn't uh watch this episode but recently there was one you guys talked about or maybe it wasn't so recent where smithers has a little musical about malibu stacy right mm -hmm. and I, I you played the clip i i thought it was funny like it, it was it was in character for smithers it wasn't the funniest uh you know musical interlude they ever did but there was some there was something there that I thought, okay, yeah, that that's cute. And as you guys said, I almost wanted more. I wanted like more of that musical. Whereas in this episode, it, it, it's just, you're so 
primed to expect musical interludes in the Simpsons to be as clever as the jokes and as the the rest of the stuff and they really were just filler here this is not the yeah. Planet of the Apes musical we we not, only no. yeah we only needed one it's not song even I'm checking in yeah no, no I uh, also, you know, Skinner has a good joke of yeah. dealing with "Are you ready to rock?" and they do it a second time in the th- in the next act. It's crazy. I was gonna say, oh, do they? Yeah, uh, when LT Smash just alienates everyone by turning into a drill sergeant almost. Yeah, it's. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, you're so right. He does. Yeah. The, I I forgot as I was watching it. That was gonna be my little line in the beginning was I'm adequately prepared to rock, which that's. That's a classic Skinnerism. Yeah. I, I love the stuff with Skinner. I wish it came back. The stuff where he's actually very supportive, but everyone thinks he isn't. He's yeah. like, "No, this was my idea. I made orange drink." Uh, and you were the guy. Drink. That yeah. was the that was the line I laughed hardest at in the episode. I love Skinner saying "orange drink." Uh, it's so good. I, yes, yeah, so Skinner. I, I have a cl- quick clip here. Skinner, very supportive of the group. And now, are you adequately prepared to rock? Yeah! Silence. Here they are, the party posse. Hello, Springfield. Now here's a song that your principal Skinner doesn't want us to play. That's not true. This assembly was my idea. I like your brand of inoffensive pop rock. Screw you, man. We're going to play it anyway. I love his little sad walk away too. Yeah. yeah, it's it's approaching a fun little gag. I mean, but I love but Skinner's so good. It's it's hard to go wrong with the mm. Skinner being square scene. So they 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 were getting there there. I saw you last night at the spelling bee. I knew right then that it was L U V. I gotta spell out what you mean. I can no longer be a silent G. I gotta spell Man, they're gonna be big. And you stood in their way. No, I didn't. I even came in early and made orange drink. Orange drink? What do you live with your mama? She lives with me. And there's a rather corny joke they cop to on the commentary of like, yes, yeah, the the, the Ralph having a deep bass voice mm. is a very standard joke in like, oh, you wouldn't expect that to be his voice kind of guy. I, I say not deep enough. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not funny enough. I, it's probably as deep as that guy from Natural could get, but I, I get... Make it crash the, you know, the sound barrier, you know, <laughs> make it something a little bit more. We need a little bit more. It's the Simpsons. You got to go further. I suppose as far as comedic lyrics go, saying I saw you had the spelling b and i knew it was l-u-v misspelling the word love like that's you know that counts as a joke that's a joke lyric. sure yeah. but i could also see that in a real boy band song them being playful in yes. their lyrics oh yeah yeah i'm doing I'm, I'm doing the rock gif where he's going <laughs> in the, you know like look get a load of this i mean i i i'm, I'm sorry maybe i'm the to use another phrase there i'm, a, I'm the heel here because you guys are trying <laughs> to find the good stuff i didn't necessarily know i was supposed to do that so no it's fine I'm, no no it's, it's fine. fine. I'm the negative Nancy, but I am I am trying here. And, we we like differing opinions. 
I do love Skinner's response of like, do you live with your mother? She lives with me. Like, <laughs> that's funny. That's, that's a cute line. Uh, and then we get our big old guest stars here. And I actually really ended up liking. So The Simpsons, the parody is gasp. It's guest star. And that's what Milhouse says. But he says it twice in this episode <laughs> the exact same way when they show up the second time. So I it works as a joke for me. Yeah. And in case you're wondering, the little musical sting that happens when they appear is from their song Space Cowboy featuring Lisa Left Eye Lopez R.I.P. Mm. So uh, it's from their it's from their music. But yes, get, let, let's give a listen to our big time guest stars. <gasps> it's in sync. Word. What brings you to Springfield? We saw your band formation notice in the paper. Really? You saw our BFN? I can't believe I'm eating Millhouse. Word. <laughs> so anyway, we brought you this wicked gift basket. Stubble glitter, a crowd taser. Crowd taser? Yeah, it's perfect for getting through the fans to your limousine. Oh, yo! Dudes, we gotta go. Our clothes are getting a little out of date. To the Bandana Republic. <sighs> Word. Uh. Now we gotta send them a basket. You know what, Brendan? You're not alone in groaning because uh, they had several visitors during this recording within sync because everybody wanted to see them. And one of them was Tom Hanks. He was doing looping for Castaway nearby. And oh. he groaned at the BFN joke. He's like, yeah. really, BFN? <laughs> but uh, they could not get him on mic for some reason. Yeah. Took him another seven uh, years to yeah. get him in the Simpsons movie. Yeah. For some uh, reason, Tom Hanks wanted to see in sync. Uh, Meet those boys. Yeah. Just... When Tom Hanks is the arbiter of edge in, in comedy, you know, <laughs> that, that is bad fun. boy Tom Hanks wants them to go further. You yeah, know? that is funny. I Okay, as a joke about how there's absolutely no reason NSYNC would ever want to meet them after their first show, to have them say, like, yeah, we saw your band formation notice in the newspaper. That's why, like, sure. And then... And yeah. I, I I like how inside Bart is of just saying like oh I gotta send them a basket now like that's just Hollywood Hollywood stuff but I that's that's that, that that's funnier than again that, see that's what I meant before about that's the one moment in the episode maybe or one of a couple where you'd expect it to be more about the boys dealing with being in a boy band uh, and having to deal with fame or or quote unquote women and the press and all the things that would go along with parodying that genre and and what your characters and your sitcom would do if they were there. But like so many episodes, I guess when you hit this point, because the show has already done stuff like that, <laughs> Bart gets famous, Millhouse in Radioactive yeah, yep. Man, uh, the Homer's Barbershop Quartet, you know, that's just been done. So they're like, well, why would we do a bunch of jokes about what it's like for these characters to suddenly be in a band? We've already done it. And so you just have a bard and nelson and millhouse these great characters kind of just become non-characters for the i guess george meyer inspired brainwashing plot to be the actual episode yes um and you know that leads to the the my constant refrain which is <laughs> what's the point what's the point of this you know if they're gonna be yeah. a boy band let me see them be a boy band but a, a lot of it feels inauthentic especially their parody of mtv in this next scene where i feel yeah. like the last time you guys watched mtv was 1987 because they were not doing this in 2001. There was not yeah. a VJ throwing the videos. At best, there was Total Request.
Podcast Live. Yeah. And that should have been your parody. That was, like you said, Henry, the battleground yeah, of it, this era. And Car- like Carson Daly wouldn't say yes to it. And if you couldn't get him, you can get Dave Holmes. Like Dave Holmes would do it. Well, on the word thing, I do actually, hearing all their behind the scenes stories about it, I love every time Timberlake says words because that's their middle finger to him. Yeah. Because in a very petty way, they were mad that he told them, like, they wrote this funny thing and he had uh he in the booth was like this isn't funny or i wouldn't say this and they're like then we're gonna make you say this seven (laughs) times in the episode and then the funniest bit is that they on the commentary say he said this sounds like a thing i would never say then if you watch in the credits yes they yeah. edit his words to have him say, this sounds like a thing I would say. Like, I was Mr. Like, Simpson, please stop. <laughs> you know. that's, that's amazingly petty. And that's what I, I love about yeah. them. All the times word shows up in here. They didn't uh, know how, how far a star would rise. You're right. They, they picked the wrong member. If they were going to pick on one member of them, they, they made a mistake if they want to keep working in Hollywood comedy to make fun of Timberlake. Should have taken them swings at Lance Bass and just <laughs> do... Uh, but they didn't know they... if. Lance Bass didn't have a character yet. Now he's the gay guy who wants to be an astronaut. Like yeah. those are two <laughs> two comedy handles right there. Oh sure. Well, if that was known then, this episode could have gone a lot differently. Yeah, I know. think like gay astronaut could be thirty mad TV sketches, right? Oh, that, I'm sure <laughs> it, it was. It probably was. Yeah. <laughs> no, I. Well, I also you without know without knowing about Lance Bass's ambitions whatsoever, they probably just did a sketch about a gay astronaut. <laughs> Uh, Will Sasso was great as gay astronaut he, number three. He yeah. honestly, Will Sasso is the only reason to go back and watch that stuff. If, he is really funny as yes. Steven Seagal. If you drop the soap in space, it floats, and that's oh. the entire sketch. Uh, oh, yeah. You just cracked it. You cracked it. <laughs> uh, I, you know, now I feel extra. Obviously, all the endless homophobic jokes about boy bands back then uh, age pretty poorly, but especially for guys who actually were in the closet like Lance Bass, I feel mm-hmm. I feel extra bad for them having to put up with that shit. But but hey they're very rich i it probably helped that to a degree and uh brendan is totally correct in that the songs aren't funny and the visuals are trying to lift the songs like with this drop the bomb song we have the entire video in this uh in this episode i feel like they add so many visual elements like i i feel like the bouncing ralph head came in later because it's 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 like just trying to sweeten it a little bit but it doesn't really fit the fiction of the song like in an nsync video or a backstreet boys video they wouldn't have a follow the bouncing ball with a character's head yeah and they i mean they just want to really get in your face with it saying join the navy backwards on the screen too the uh well that vj also it's a returning vj scene in the kid rock spring break episode which is I'd say a worse episode than this. That's Cienega. The, uh, oh, right. Because. That one is even more in your face about an annoying guest star. And it's about Homer acting incredibly out of character for the first act like this. I don't know. I Maybe this one's worse. Uh, but uh, yes, there's, there's a gag that, that it's directed by Ang Lee. I will say this being seven months before 9-11 is uh, pretty nuts or not eight, nine months, nine months before 9-11. It's okay. well, here, I'll drop it in here. Mom, can't Bart get his massage somewhere else? Don't be selfish, Lisa. Will you two shut up? I'm missing precious VJ prattle. Woo! Mm. That was the latest ad for Stridex Pads, medicated. Okay, coming at you, a world premiere video from Peace Squared. That's the parte passe. Woo! Yeah! All right! Rock! Woo! Oh, say can you rock? 
I was watching this and I did chuckle a little bit at the drop the bomb thing because it is not totally unlike what would become the cultural uh, messaging during the war on terror uh, where, you know, you have people from the place where bombing dancing and sort of saying, thank you for freeing me. Basically that's what the, the women dancing oh, yeah. you know, are doing <clears throat> and that it would, it would be filtered through into, you know, almost every genre, obviously, country music is the gag everyone would go with but whether or not it was in actual pop songs about going to war there would be sort of like a nod at the end of the episode there would be pop stars and celebrities of of every stripe chiming in someone on twitter just uncovered these disney channel spots oh yes yeah i just saw that i have not seen these yeah of lizzie mcguire and uh, well uh, hillary duff uh yeah yeah of of all saying it's you know it's savvy propaganda it's not unlike the 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 sort of let me start that over it's savvy american propaganda it's very uh warm and cuddly and it's talking about your feelings and 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 what it means but it's saying we need to talk about 9-11 a lot Everyone should still be talking about it. it it's going to help you get through it. But there's an American flag like like plastered <laughs> over everything as a way to say, keep thinking about this and talking about it and saying we're all in it together against the 9-11, maybe the people who did it, maybe people who didn't even do it. And it's on Disney Channel with these child stars. So the Drop the Bomb music video, in a way, was it, it definitely taps into what's going to happen. 9-11 hadn't even happened yet. Mm-hmm. So I kind, of, I kind of respected some foresight there. Uh- and thinking of where we were headed after 9-11 hearing them say like you're more dangerous than saddam it's like wow they yeah they're yeah yeah and also just the middle east area they're showing there just this hodgepodge of cultures of just like yeah. ah they're all the they're all the same in american eyes especially like when they blow up the guys and they uh then become like belly dancers it's like well now this is like indian like this isn't uh it's yeah. it's definitely i think probably self-aware in in that presentation of it and you know i don't subscribe to the idea like you know you have to constantly scream what you're trying to satirize or else you're playing into the people that you you know you you're laughing at i think that they they clearly know this is what a propaganda music video would look like the whole point is that it's subliminally telling people to join the navy so it it works in in that regard but the, the rest of the episode is rather toothless compared to that moment as far as a critique of the of the military industrial complex or whatever is being shoved in here, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to, to make the episode sing. I think that this was as, as sort of uh, racy as, as they got in trying to say something provocative about, about American culture. Well, and they're, and they're mocking Clinton's military, which is the wussy military that doesn't do <laughs> yeah. enough. You yeah. Know? yeah. It's... And they thought Al Gore was probably going to be the president at this mm. point as and well. And even wussier wuss. Who yeah. wouldn't? Yeah. Yeah, the, the Join the Navy singer, they don't name her, but they say she's also another of the uh, of the Orlando set. It's, it's so weird how they're just like, you know, Orlando. Just like that is just their way of saying from the boy band factory. You know? It's a hotbed. <laughs> 
Yes, Homer is loving the song Yvonne et Niage, which uh, if you were to play that backwards, does not sound like Join the Navy. Like that's also, mm. it always kind of bugged me as a, as a teen watching this, like that's not what it sounds. If you were to play Join the Navy backwards, it doesn't sound like Yvonne et Niage. That's what it would sound like if you tried to say the letters backwards uh. if you read them on something. It's all a big we cheat. We believe this is some kind of magical. <laughs> Lisa does have a magical v- VCR. Yeah, like, that she actually does have one. Reverse slow mo you know, with audio. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Just, <laughs> now I'll defend this episode. I don't. I. You know what they're trying to do. It's, right. it's okay by me. It's a real zoom enhance of the Simpsons world. <laughs> you yes, know. Yes, exactly. A, another thing in this episode that I feel bad for the creatives on is that Stephen Dean Moore and his team were tasked with making like you know dance choreography is hard to animate and uh especially with more than one character having to do it so having to do it with four characters at once or when instinct dance is five like an entire audience doing the ball walk dance with the party posse they have to do this for like five different songs and a giant music video with huge war scenes like they were asked to do all this stuff pretty thanklessly even on the commentary they i feel like they steven dean moore's there but they're like, ah, Chris Kirkpatrick, you're here. Let's talk about NSYNC. It's just like he's, they worked really hard on this stuff. I, I feel bad for the animators. Yeah. I do like the imagery of them erecting a tetherball <laughs> yeah. that, uh, if the Iwo Jima stand, that, that's fun. But, uh, sure. and yes, Lisa, though, doesn't trust it. And that's when she digs deep into this video. You gotta love that crazy chorus. What does it mean? It doesn't mean anything. It's like Ramalama Ding Dong or Give Peace a Chance. This party is happening. It's no mirage. So sing it again. Even at me about this video none of those girls has had three kids i can tell you that no something else that's what an adult says now about these things like, yeah oh, that person's not yeah it's uh, when yeah. you're old that's how you view any <laughs> young person now but but yes lisa puts in her vhs tape which uh, she has a vcr tv in her room now i uh and she plays it backwards, hitting rewind, plays the audio backwards, which they totally cop to on the commentary. It's like, it's not how it works. No. Everybody with a VCR in their home knows it doesn't work this way. She would need like Pro Tools or something <laughs> at this point in history. Yes. Uh, but Lisa learns the secret. Uncle Sam, let me play this backwards. Join the Navy. Join the Navy. They're recruiting people with subliminal messages. Otto, what are you doing? I don't know. I just got an urge to join the Navy. You're being brainwashed. Yeah, probably. Ivanette Niage. <laughs> he doesn't care. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Otto. That, uh, that's a laugh. Yeah. That, that's funny. That's probably. That's how you got to live in America these days. It's the only way you can. Like, yeah, probably I'm brainwashed. What you going to do? <laughs> and, you know, Otto's dad, famously an admiral. He is not the admiral we see later. That's true. Different yeah. character design completely. But, yes. Uh, oh, that's interesting. When is his dad established to be a, an admiral? I don't recall that. In uh, the, the Otto like the early, show. Early, early season? Yeah, season oh, three. Okay. 
uh, they are like Otto has to stay with the Simpsons, and uh, they're asking, "Why don't you stay with your parents?" He's like, "Let's just say the Admiral and I don't get along." Yes, yeah, okay. <laughs> and then he comes back uh, when Otto gets married, and we see him. That's true. Yeah, but in a deleted scene, not not in the episode. Mm. Yeah, Lisa realizing it's you know Navy. The choice of the Navy was interesting on their part, I think, because they were like, yeah. "Oh, that's that's not who you think of as being the most aggressive recruiters in America." Yeah, not that they yeah. don't try to recruit, but. I well this at the time actually as a as a class of uh, I was three months away from graduating high school when I saw this episode and at that time uh, in a thing that should absolutely be illegal in my advanced science classes for real Navy recruiters came to our class to say like well you know science huh we learn a lot of science in the Navy and we pay for I was like at the time as a kid I thought well that's weird or if I even thought it was weird I just let it go but now insane insane that they could do that i and i'm sure it's 10 times worse 20 years later yeah yeah i mean that's something that is um sort of interesting about the criticism or or rather the uh, the the commentary the social commentary that's being lodged here is the navy and again yeah why the navy in particular i don't i don't really know maybe meyer had some experience with the Navy was the the one he brushed up against or new people that they're subliminally recruiting people. It's like, is, is it better when it's not subliminal? You know, like, is it, I don't know exactly what the message is. You know, uh, obviously I, I get it. This is a show dedicated to overthinking these things. Oh yeah. So if we're going to complain about the VHS going backwards, which I still support, <laughs> I, I, I guess I, I, I don't really understand if you think about it for more than a second, like other than it being a plot, which is fine. Is there a criticism here really? Or is it just like kind of an action movie idea uh, where they have a secret message we have to decode and, and that's kind of it? Because what the fuck is the difference if they do it subliminally or if they just come into your school? Mm, it seems yeah. sort of worth if they're directly telling you to do it, which is exactly what happened, you know, if, or through soft cultural influences like we discussed before to me like the message is the military is insecure about their place in the world and the lack of interest in that what they do in in recruitment because when i was uh, i graduated high school in the year 2000 and uh, a lot of kids in my school were like oh the army is the biggest scam boot camp sucks but we're not doing anything anywhere so after boot camp which is awful you're just set up for life you get free college you get all this money all these benefits they didn't know about 9-11, of course, all these yeah. kids who enlisted, but it was seen in the 90s oh, like knew. the army is the hugest <laughs> scam. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It's it's I'm not appreciating enough how it is a it is, I guess, maybe of that era where the, the perception was I don't think it's totally rooted in reality, but the perception was all of this was going to get drawn down. Mm. And so they would need to resort. They're in a desperate position. Um, which, you know, I mean, the American military being in a desperate position in 2000 is is a, a little <laughs> bit of a caricature itself, which is oh, yeah. OK. But that makes more sense as to why this would be the, uh, the 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 evil plot. You know, you play a great clip in one of the early episodes of season one, a blowback of Congressman Bernie Sanders saying, like, I'm sorry, we've run out of enemies. We can't. There's nobody mm -hmm. to fight. We I'm so sorry. Like. Uh, that that was the feel like that that was the far left feeling that I suppose or at least in far left in, on, in, in D.C. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, we were talking before Colin Powell, he in an interview just said, I'm running out of demons, you know, as America's chief chief military, uh, one of his one of America's chief military officers after the Gulf War. And he said, I'm down to Castro and North Korea. 
So he's being glib, of course, but that is basically he's telegraphing the real thing, which is we need more monsters to go slay. We need something to demonize, even though it's almost every time it is a country that we've placed in a horrible position, obviously. And that was being felt, definitely. So so Meyer, Meyer was probably savvy enough, actually, in, in saying that this is why they're resorting to this kind of thing. Uh, and again, I was pretty young at this point. So even though I'm Mr. Smarty Pants doing my podcast about it, I don't actually have a visceral um, <clears throat> memory or connection of being, you know, a military age male or near mm. it at that time, as well, we once designated uh, the Iraqi uh, boys. Uh, yeah, we covered this on our Talking Futurama sister show, but there's an episode of Futurama that aired in the fall of 2000 where Bender and Fry enlist in the army to get a two cent discount on gum. Mm. And they have the same idea, like, well, there will never be a war. This is just a big scam to get discounts war and benefits. War was declared. Yeah, war yeah. were declared yeah. war for Bender and Fry. Uh, the last reason I think on this is trying to get in like 2000 end of history brain here. The joke is how, you know, how in the 70s and 80s, they thought it was uh, secret messages and music was devil worship. Well, now the cut through the, the satirization is, no, the secret message is the government is in your brain like this. And this is real X-Files kind of territory, too. Yeah. Uh, and for me, the first two acts are not interesting, but the third act is just like, wasn't the first two acts, weren't the first two acts boring and bad? Well, here's a bunch of crazy bullshit. And that's why my Zoom background is the soldiers firing at the hippies who are shooting evil daisies at them. Yes. Funny, uh, definitely a funny part. Yes. Now, this uh, the funniest scene in the episode is probably the incredibly long, uh, drawn out reveal of who LT Smash really is. Yeah. Like, uh, so Lisa heads to Classified Records, a great name for yeah. a uh, Navy front for a music company. Uh, Are they associated with Star Blitz Productions? I think I, it must be two different arms of them. Okay. Maybe one's the Marines and one's the Navy. I guess the uh, man. Could you imagine if, like, the government had, like, fake corporations they used to set up stuff? Like, that would be pretty <laughs> crazy. I'm glad. Yeah. It's funny in this cartoon, though. But, um, yeah. Uh, but, yes, Lisa confronts him. He says, he says, do you have any idea how insane that sounds twice? And then very slowly his many Navy things are revealed. Lieutenant Smash. Yeah, that's right. Lieutenant L.T. Smash. <laughs> a wig! But, but your pant legs! Oh, how could you soil the good name of Star Blitz Promotions? Oh, come on, Lisa. We've always used pop stars to recruit people. Going back to Elvis. Then there was Sergeant Peppers, the Captain and Tennille, and the Kiss Army. But you have recruiting ads on TV. Why do you need subliminal messages? Uh, it's a three-pronged attack. Subliminal, liminal, and superliminal. Superliminal? I'll show you. <laughs> hey, you! Join the Navy! Uh, yeah, all right. I'm in. <laughs> well, now that you know, Lisa, I'm afraid I can't let you leave. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. The superliminal joke might justify the entire episode for me because really that, like that's what stuck with me. The word superliminal. Yeah. And that is it, just it, shouted. It's, it's, a, it's a little bit of a repeat of the auto moment, you know, Lisa mm. looks well, out the yeah. window. And, but but it, 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 Lenny and Carl are naturally funny and we have to laugh uh, the, because the, they're the best. The Lenny and Carl moment also reminded me like, oh yeah, they didn't join the Naval Reserves with Homer, Barney, and Moe in that, even though you think they would in that previous mm. episode of joining the Naval 
maybe. <laughs> uh, also, isn't isn't uh, Lenny supposed to be a war hero in some reference? That's so right. That, that's right. Yeah. Maybe he's cross pollinating in the military, and he was a war hero somewhere else. But yeah, this is this is funny, and uh, the LT Smash character. I just sort of wish we had gotten more of him as this yeah. in the episode, and less of him as like the stock boy band recruiter for so long it it makes sense now that his uh i his character design is weird in the first in the first and second act because you're like this isn't what you would draw a manager of a boy band to look like like he's right. too buff uh, you know he'd be more like the jeff goldblum uh, character mm -hmm. in, uh, called uh, selma you know sleazy yeah. entertainment guy but then when you find out that he is a naval officer a lieutenant you're like oh all right that and I, I, my favorite line in the episode is the silliness already of removing the decal of a period yeah. that shows that he's actually a lieutenant, not a man with the name LT. And then he says, that's right, Lieutenant <laughs> LT Smash. So that's LT Smash funny. is his real name. <laughs> Yes, but that's good. Uh, that's great. And also just to show how little they care about the plot, Lisa casually walks <laughs> away from danger. Yeah. And But as far as plotting goes, that also makes this very confused because the episode starts as Homer does the marathon. Then it's Bart joins a boy band. Then ever briefly, it's Lisa reveals a conspiracy. And then after Ugh. that, it's like, now nah, Lisa doesn't care anymore. No. People don't believe her and she walks away from it. Yeah, it's a huge mess. Uh, I will say, though, don't know why. Can't defend myself. I laughed at the Kiss Army. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I actually think it would have been funnier if it wasn't even the buildup of like Elvis and then a joke and then jo it just should have been like the Kiss Army and then just that's the main time that they did propaganda with pop. It, I don't know why Kiss Army just sounds funny to me. It feels like that Captain and Tennille joke came in later because it sounds like Hank forgot how to do the guy's voice. Yeah, it's like a different yeah. room he's in and he's a different uh, accent or something. I don't know. It just it struck right. me as like a later edition. It's a punch up, but it should have been. That's 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 the worst one, Captain and Tennille. Yeah, yeah, he's a captain. It's like just do Kiss Army. Yeah, I, I did like Sergeant Peppers, and uh, John Lennon has is not stabbing the the dummy with his bayonet. Oh, yeah. He's got a little daisy on the uh, end. That's that is yeah. good. That's good. I didn't notice that. Uh, so then in the next scene, uh, Lisa, after casually walking away, the family is heading to the squid port. Mike Scully loved that squid port. They, they create the squid port in late season eight and then they keep going to the squid port in his years. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, I mean, we, we do, uh, we are obsessive. We pay too much attention to the show, but if you look at the squid port in the scene, this is what happens when you don't give your background artist sign jokes yeah. because it's just like clay jars and like just the most bland names for I things. One that says gifts, one gifts, that says yeah. antiques yeah it's uh not yeah that again well but they didn't want to write lyrics and they didn't want to write sign jokes they just let's get it out i i do like though lisa homer trying to have fun with lisa like gonna bite you and she's like you're a grown man <laughs> he's like that that hurt homer's feelings in a realistic way even, like even marge is a jerk to lisa yes yeah how dare Lisa have a problem with anything? They just like fuck you, Lisa. And Lisa doesn't <laughs> even get the fun of saying "I told you so." She does. She doesn't say another line after she says an aircraft carrier. That's subtle. Lisa never speaks again. It, her investment in this story is over. Yep. Uh, that's sort of the that's sort of the treatment of Lisa in general around this period too, from what I understand, right? Oh yes, yeah. Actually, you know what? I created the jingle for it here. May as well play it. May as well. Take that, Lisa's beliefs. <laughs> <laughs> 
Right, yes. Because mm. it's sort of, it's an interesting evolution where she, I'm sure this has been noted before, but in the in the 90s era, she, she is not just a cosmic who just picks up vaguely liberal causes and is then insufferable about them. You know, there's a bit more heart to her character and why she does things and why she cares. And then it feels as though she actually goes from being more, I don't know, of a free thinker or a, a radical for, for American standards to just being kind of an annoying liberal mm, as well, it yeah. seems, as, as it goes on. We've had at this point, I don't know, four years of South Park as a bad influence. And of course, you know, all your end of history stuff where believing in anything is stupid. You're just doing yeah. it to uh, virtue signal. I don't know if they used that term at the time, but that's what they meant. And yeah, it's Lisa, cool not yeah. to care about anything. Exactly. Yeah. Although I will say I'm, I'm pretty much uh, coming around the bend right right, right back <laughs> to that now. I'm planning on not, not caring maybe in, yeah. for the next couple of years and then going back to caring. It's hard. It's hard to care all the time. It's, ty- it's hard to care. It tires you out. No, I. Uh, but Unless you're a care lord, a yeah. lord of care. Uh, and so, yes, the uh, the party posse sings another song. I'll drop in here. Good afternoon and welcome to the USSC Spanker. Are you ready to tear it up? I can't hear you. Do you maggots want to see a show or not? Hey. I mean, uh, uh, here they are, the Party Posse. Had a girl in every port. I'm here to Barcelona. But now I'm docked in Springfield. And girl, I'm gonna phone ya. about signing back up and how they're going to storm the beaches and let's re-enlist like it's uh you know it's not terrible of like it's a love song that also works as telling people to join the navy it's it's all right and and they take a lot of visuals out of the turn back time share video as well here which was all uh, filmed on the uss missouri back in 1989 and it angered the navy they said no more music videos on our ships that's true yeah she was too sexy too sexy for the navy too damn sexy uh that's uh yeah there's i i do like uh my favorite bit in it is ralph uh parachuting in and then not moving from his baby seat and just it tips over and he just is singing all the same (laughs) is is this where um lieutenant is smash is watching the fans do the militant dance and then he purrs that's it protect the country yeah (laughs) that made me laugh and then the vision he has as you mentioned uh earlier bob of the yeah the hippie attack that 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 was that was that felt like 
like a, a a classic Simpsons joke. Yeah, it did feel very Schwartzwaldery. I don't know if he had any input on this script, but the, the fact that the children morph into all like the same kind of soldier and they're fighting hippies, but the hippies are on a giant mantis. Yes. And yeah. not only are they firing daisies, the daisies will kill you if they hit oh, you. Oh god. And then they all and all the soldiers look like it reminded me of Who's Tommy? Like how <laughs> yeah. how very arch all the uh army looks they look like you know 1940s uh marie uh, army men yeah and, they're uh, the killbot factory they right? are the killbot factory yeah and lt smash's comment on the fantasy is like they're getting less frequent sir oh yeah. god yeah. no yeah. i i just love well i love that his vision of hippies say like burn down the barber shops like oh you eat a minute that's great uh also See, in- that's like that's like the good part of an older left-leaning person on the staff you know, coming up with jokes like the because it's a caricature and because they're, you know, they're also laughing at themselves of the counterculture that they were probably once a part of like that, that that feels like a moment where it's singing a little bit. It's less so it's so much more out of touch in the episode when, uh, you know, in sync is saying um, that's radical, man. And, you know, we're <laughs> we're supposed to believe that's like, you know, how people talk like that. Th- this is the the stronger side of uh of their instincts it does feel like a very george meyer scene oh 100 yeah. i mean this this there's that and the scene of lisa talking to him both feel like snl sketches from his era like in a, in a good way i mean that complimentary mm-hmm. not to be like snl sucks because he wrote no. some funny sketches but this yeah. i mean th- this episode is not great the third act is very funny and i love all the business with using a gun to push buttons and flip that's switches also good yeah i was gonna say that's a good gag yeah. repeatedly using a gun to do other things every time uh, uh but yeah also if you want to look at an unnatural drawing of bart to do the ball walking dance Bart's legs have to have joints that he never has. Like he has to have a clear knee distinction and, and his legs are like twice as long as they're normally drawn. Uh, I again felt for the animators that like draw the four boys in the band and then a full crowd doing the ball walk together. I think uh, the director said they all had to like get on exercise balls to figure out how the (laughs) dance works. But yes, this is when the plug is pulled on the party posse. The hippie fantasy again? You're getting less frequent, sir. Excellent. <laughs> well, there's no easy way to say this. The new administration is shutting down Project Boy Band. Shutting it down? Permission to say that's crazy, sir. You won't say it's crazy when you see next week's issue of Mad Magazine. Oh, dear God. When this satirical bombshell hits the stands tomorrow, your band will have as much recruiting power as a wax apple. I don't follow, sir. It's over, LT. Ha! <laughs> Let's march all day and clean the trees all night. Don't bust me down. Let's re-up tonight. <laughs> Let's re-up tonight. Why is Jimbo there in the first place? Yeah, that was confusing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the idea of Mad Magazine being spoofed yes. as such a threat is very funny, especially because even in 2001, Mad was very irrelevant. I mean, only in recent years did they shut down and just become a, a magazine that publishes old material. But mm. nobody was talking about Mad Magazine. And apparently it was going to be Cracked, but they felt that Cracked was too obscure. And I say you should have went with Cracked, yeah. even though I like the Mad stuff in this. It would have paid off. I, I, I like the gags about Mad Magazine um, 
although I have to say, maybe little did they know, or perhaps they did, that is basically now kind of a joke about what the Simpsons are, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, actually, I, the, I have a 10-second clip here. This Mad Magazine writer's room does feel like them clowning on themselves. Yeah. I yes. Think. Yes. Why don't we call it Everybody Hates Raymond? <laughs> well, we stayed up all night, but it was worth it. We can't let LT blow up mad. Tina Brown was just starting to turn it around. Yeah, uh, and in case you were wondering, the actual parody they did was an epi- uh, issue 372 called Everybody Loathes Raymond. Oh, my <laughs> A God. A funnier title. Probably didn't land with everybody, but uh, the Tina Brown joke uh, <laughs> oh, all right. is funny Let, to me. Let's I mean, talk about it. Uh, that joke was courtesy of Mike Reese, by the way. They called uh, him out on the commentary. Uh, that's good. So, uh, yes, Tina Brown uh, at the time, uh, she was a big name editor in the world of New York publishing. Uh, she had done a, a vi- very big stint on Vanity Fair, then The New Yorker. And at this time, she had very publicly left the New Yorker. And the joke here is that Tina Brown left the New Yorker to run Mad Magazine. <laughs> like that. Once yeah. a New York institution, right? Yeah. yeah. But, but the actual real thing is even worse that she left to launch the publication talk with Harvey Weinstein. Mm. It was Miramax and uh, was like, we're going to get in the publishing world too. We'll be just as dominant there in, the, in New York as we were uh, with all of our films and uh yes so tina brown ran talk magazine the very first issue interview with hillary rodham clinton Uh, (laughs) it's the axis of evil right there if you want one (laughs) but uh yeah yeah and also later on i mean you know i'm someone who i I don't know what i am now i don't know if i'm a full-time journalist now but i used to be in 2013 I briefly worked at the Daily Beast because oh. I was uh, an I was an intern for Andrew Sullivan, oh. which you know is a Ooh, something wow. I've uh, I've I've you know uh, testified about before, <laughs> you know for 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 a year. Um, and he was technically a part of the Daily Beast at the time, and then he went independent and left the Daily Beast. But at the time, Tina Brown was running that place into the ground, was running Newsweek and the Daily Beast, which had merged into the ground. So this began at the time. This is a joke about how Tina Brown is, you know, known for steering these, um, you know, very prestigious and glossy examples of American media. But actually, it is actually still funny because it's a joke about how she's just about to turn this place around. <laughs> she went on to found a bunch of bullshit that never worked and was actively, you know, just like uh, trashy journalism that no one wanted. So, uh, you know, so then as an intern, you were probably dusting a lot of calipers back then. Uh, I, uh, oh, you know, geez. I stole one for myself yeah. just as a little souvenir. <laughs> uh, you have to have those memories. But, uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I, I don't have a ton to I, I tweeted one time something spicy about something uh, he said that if people want to go look up, they can. But mostly, I mean, it was a very normal job. I wasn't like at his place give getting him coffee and helping him do his blog. We saw him every now and again. It was more just like working at a yet another website doing little blog posts. I mean, his hiring by Tina Brown is definitely a very Tina Brownie move, which is just like a very expensive guy who mattered in the nineties and mattered less on the internet age though. Yeah. He did great work in the nineties. Oh yes. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah. uh, Yeah. No, I mean, it was just a club of her favorite people to bring on and if somehow it didn't work out, but yeah, that's, that's a joke that's, aged and then aged back into being kind of 
uh, it makes sense. So, so when she was running talk, she was working with all the greatest people. She helped Rudy Giuliani and Barry Diller and Madeline Albright. <laughs> uh, and, and also the most recent times you'd see Tina Brown interviewed in the last couple of years are being asked about like, Hey, you're in pictures with Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein and, or Harvey Weinstein. She's like, yeah, but I didn't like them at those parties. Or I like that. <laughs> Mainly that's what she is, is known for these days, which I mean, I don't know if you were that high up in the world of New York publishing, you probably went to 800 parties with Jeffrey Epstein. Like that mm -hmm. was, he was, he was an important philanthropist then. So yeah, that's the, there's the Tina Brown explanation. I didn't know Tina you. Brown corner. Yeah. <laughs> I also I do really love the line of the admiral saying excellent to him saying like I they're happening less frequently now excellent, excellent. Like, yeah, yeah that's. also the bit of the the mad magazine me and Bob did get to tour the latter day mad magazine area in Bur when it moved to Burbank we got to see their offices yeah when it was part of uh, DC in, in 2018 uh, apparently again uh, the, the magazine still exists uh, they do have new covers but it's I think it's mostly old material they put mm. out now but our but our pal Ellie Gertz she uh, she gave us a tour there when she worked at that place that was, that was very nice mm -hmm. but yeah these these mad magazine jokes like that's it's good that the gag is mad magazine which spoofs everything is treated as like the end of the world yeah. here and it must be stopped. And they have their own building in new york yes yeah <laughs> i also like we're jumping ahead a second maybe but i like when it is hit that uh they're on the ground getting up and one of them goes i actually feel better yeah yes uh, yeah, in my notes i in my notes i wrote just like on 9-11 everyone lived everyone lived yeah everyone was fine. well yeah. i mean that's another interesting thing about the end of this episode you know it's it's insane i mean okay so they go to new york city yeah there's a great joke of millhouse saying the statue of liberty where are we like, yeah. that's, that's another good one and uh, it's revealed homer was in the bathroom just so he can be around for maybe two jokes yeah, i guess yeah why maybe. is he there i was like actively wait why is homer here even i, I guess it's because he needs to be i mean a lot of the uh the tone of these episodes is nobody cares what's happening and homer is just like sunbathing by the end of this episode yeah. i yeah. i love bart saying like he's gone crazy and homer looks up at lt smash like yeah that's the look that's the look <laughs> I, I i laughed at that too yeah uh so then the episode also in a very george Mari way teases that it's going to be about them writing the perfect slow jam that will relax a crazy person <laughs> and it's teasing that InSync is going to sing a song which they do not do in this episode uh, I, I did laugh at the idea we heard your problem and they were on a speedboat far away yes, yeah that's uh, and how uh, Justin Timberlake says can the chit chat Millhouse yes yeah and it, also it's kind of like jokes that like the gun one from before with the gun using being used to do everything but shoot somebody yeah you know th those jokes and and then the boat, the boat, we heard you, they were on a boat far away. They feel almost like naked gun jokes to me. You oh, know, yeah, like, yeah. Of, like Zaz jokes. <laughs> well, and here, this, the second appearance of InSync I have in this clip, note again that Milhouse says the exact thing he says when they appeared the first time. We heard what you said. Yeah, heard it old school. <gasps> it's in sync. Can the chit chat, Milhouse? We've got just the song you need to defuse this whack attack. Defuse it old school. About time. Radical! Awesome! I can't read! I can't sing without dancing! Fine. Thrust, spin, turn. Pivot, pout, jiggy. Jiggy, robot, do-si-do. -do. And close with a matrix. Oh! Nobody pouts going into a jiggy. 
Yeah, that's stupid. I want to twirl. Aw, oh, come on, guys. We've only got a few minutes. Uh-oh. I remember uh, watching this at the age of 18 and being genuinely shocked. They yeah. actually blew up the building. They actually bombed New York City in the yeah. episode. I was shot That, as a shock moment of Bart going like, guys, we have to focus, and pff, the missiles just fire <laughs> as he's talking. Uh, as if you're going to do a joke about how this plot is meaningless and doesn't matter, then that's a good way to do it. And then he's like escorted away by an Irish cop from the 30s. It's, it's, sure you did. It's Sergeant O'Hara from yeah. ba the Batman 1966 series. Like, yeah. But yes, in the in February of 2001, they explode a skyscraper in the middle of Manhattan and everyone's fine. They they mentioned that it was taken out of syndication for a time mm -hmm. out right after Yes. Yeah. Was um was Homer versus New York also taken out because of the Twin Towers? Oh that? yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I I remember when I got the DVDs, I thought like, wow, I can finally see this episode on the DVDs again because they took it out of the rotation for the longest time. And you may groan at the Matrix joke, but we were months away from the best Matrix reference in Shrek. Oh, it was yes. coming up. <laughs> the exact same joke. Yeah. It's the same I joke. Mean, yeah writes itself uh, you know yeah. I, I know you guys said you did shrek recently i don't know if i have it in me to rewatch that but, uh, <laughs> please don't please don't yeah i won't i won't but this but i'm you're right i mean everyone was doing a matrix joke and it's just sad to see them also do a matrix joke and me, it's their but. second one in season 12 because they did it in lisa tree hugger as well bart does the matrix the same yeah. hang in the air joke and there's a couch gag because, matrix joke too oh so it's a I mean, third, like, third. Yeah. Like a couch gag, I, that that's okay. It's you know the couch gags are very ephemeral, and and that's sort of their point, I guess. That's that's not as offensive to me, but yeah, it just it just kind of sums up what's coming, not just for The Simpsons, but for a lot of comedy in general. Is this is there's the joke about Simpsons reference? You know, it's a show that's caked and all of that stuff. But something about just pointing and going, it's like that. Remember that? Mm -hmm. You know, that is that has been sort of um metastasized by mm. by everything now and like we were talking about the marvel movies earlier and it's that that's it's a similar strain it's like a direct line of just you know probably from from shrek and whatever <laughs> onward where it's everyone's kind of doing this mild parody parody comedy everyone's doing a spoof even in a action movie that's just it's the culture is becoming more and more homogenized and uh, there's more and more concentration of ownership. And so just seeing the this little gag in The Simpsons do it, it does kind of make me go, oh, yeah, there's so much of that coming after after 2000. You know? And this this is really nitpicky of me, but, you know, here we are on this show. <laughs> uh, I had the same problem with the previous reference <laughs> to The Matrix in that you have a TV budget. To ask a TV budget to rotate five characters in the background is asking a lot, which is why they rotate like 10 degrees before yeah. the little reference ends. So it doesn't really have, communicate The Matrix joke enough. They don't have the money to yeah. do it. It. There's no time and budget for it. Like, you could write uh, Matrix joke in your uh, script, but then someone actually has to draw it, and it's very difficult. And and can yeah. you believe two decades later, Space Jam Two just does this joke again, except with Granny oh, really? from Looney Tunes? It is a scene. Yes. It yes, I have. I I Oof. do it uh, so Bob doesn't have to, and others don't. I can just say like, uh, you don't need. This. I mean, speaking yeah. of like funky grandma jokes, that that oh movie is all God. like grandmas drinking martinis. 
Hachi uh, machi. And, and also, she yeah. just she says when she wins some game or does a good thing, she <laughs> goes like, game, blouses. It's like, yes, we get it. The is, Chappelle show sketch. Is like, she going to ha- uh, haul ass to Lollapalooza yes. at the end of that movie or what? Yeah. Gram- Grandma's eating a Tide Pod on, the, <laughs> on Zoom. Uh, but, uh, but yes, uh, somehow after blowing up Mad Magazine, it's a happy ending for everyone in our final clip here. Everybody okay? Uh, yeah, 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 I'm fine. fine. I actually feel better. <laughs> <laughs> well, boys, the party posse is over, but at least I saved you from a public spoofing. Oh man, we could have been on the cover of Mad. They called me Smelson. Smelson, <laughs> 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 it's funny because you smell. <laughs> Smelson. I could have thought of that. Sure, you cut her. <laughs> Off you go now. <laughs> you know, we've had a lot of fun tonight at the expense of the U.S. Navy. But they're out there every day protecting us from Godzilla. And don't forget pirates and jellyfish. Those whack invertebrates will sting you old school. So check out the Navy for a two- or a four-year hitch. We saw JC up yesterday. What? No! So uh, the commentary on that little bit at the end, Mike Scully says, this came in late, didn't it? I take that for, as him saying, this sucks. It's not very good. How do, how, how do you guys read that? So, well, uh, one, I think J.C. Chazé did a, did a good no. I yeah. want to compliment first. But um, yeah, yeah, I I think it is a parody of the, we had a lot of fun today, but kind of, sure, you know, sure. moral of the story things you'd see at the end of like G.I. Joe and He-Man. But the Godzilla and Pirates, they could, I mean, it's no, just. No, it's easy. Yeah. Yeah, just, I, yeah. I, but what I think ends up being funny retroactively to me is that this was a joke that you'd have at the end of a show saying like, respect the troops. But that would be every show for like the next decade would actually be, hey, we're having fun, but these guys do all these things so we don't have to whatever like it. That was what TV, lots of comedies would do, would would actually do this like complimenting the troops <laughs> at the end of the oh, episode yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. it it. So when I was watching it, I I couldn't tell. I'm going to rely on you guys and your judgment that it was not in February 2000. Uh, you know, let's say George Meyer is the one behind this uh, the script and therefore the messaging of, of what's happening here. It was not actually trying to do a little bit of a take back mm. and not and not sincere at all, because I, I, I don't know if even in 2000, you know, we can talk about how there was a end of history vibe and all that. But it wasn't like, you know, you could be you could say whatever you wanted about the U.S. military. So I didn't, I was wondering, and I don't know if it was partially a hodgepodge of the criticism earlier in the episode or the, or the, the goofing on the Navy and then sort of softening it at the end, Mm. even though they say Godzilla, it's still saying don't actually hate the Navy, but Mm. then one of them gets dragged out because he's been enlisted in the Navy. So it sort of smooths it over a little bit. And I don't know whether that is supposed to be further joking or a little bit sincere in earnest. Well, to me it could have had more bite but i think they are just underlining the idea that like what does the navy do and the things they point out uh, we're protected from pirates jellyfish and godzilla all kind of fictional you know dangers for americans mm. so it yeah. could have been more savage but i think they're just underlining you think they're going to do the actually the navy's important thing you know what, what the simpsons would never do but yes. they're they're doing the the parody of that but i don't think it's in savage enough which is why we're not really getting the message up front yeah it's a little toothless 
I, I could also see InSync's handlers going like, guys, take it easy on the military. You know, we yeah. we, we work out of Florida. It's a red state. It could. Oh. They probably did some some USO type bullshit at some point. As oh, well. I, bad. I don't, yeah. Speaking yeah. of which, Natural, the band that was doing all the singing in this episode, right after they did the uh, singing for, you know, Party Posse, their next thing they were doing was a rally for George W. Bush in Florida in October <laughs> of 2000. Uh, nice. I, well, uh have, have you guys i know i know one of you is at least a rest a wrestling person did you That's ever see me, the, yeah okay did did you ever see noah and i showed it to some show we were on last year might have been yeah but still they they brought up the wrestlemania in iraq uh it was like the wwf went to baghdad in 2003 oh, yes yeah. and it is it is uh i mean the uso is one thing that was just like a quite an amazing spectacle of the you know we talk, you talk about trump and cheapening you know the the level of you know the gaudiness of our of our uh empire but i mean vince mcmahon dueling with santa claus who then takes off his hat and he's stone cold steve austin in baghdad as we're destroying it mm. with people cheering there mm -hmm. as well as back home i mean that's as I don't think you can top that even with Trump era stuff. Oh yeah, hey, look, you're you're threatening to make me pitch a podcast to you right now, but the <laughs> no. the the military industrial complex meets WWE is one of the craziest post 9/11 things there is. Like they'd, they they mm. definitely they always worked with jingoistic imagery. Like uh, the Hulk sure. Hogan defeated a rock via uh defeating <sighs> Sergeant Slaughter in 1991. Right. Like he did that. But uh oh, okay. yes, the tribute to the era of shows where they'd either do them on active military bases in america or go to baghdad or afghanistan uh they would do shows there for the troops and it was all just you know sucking off the troops kind of thing and one of the interesting things behind the scenes was there were guys uh, very short story there's a <laughs> pro wrestler named rob van dam who is a very like hippified smoke weed every day kind of dude who did not want to go and they were told you know behind the scenes they said hey nobody has to go if they don't want to go but he tells the story of like when he actually said no i'm not gonna go they he was treated like crap the rest of the time like oh you hate america huh you don't want to get like that that's how it was just the force of it there like it's and also like vince McMahon just is donald trump they're the oh, same guy for sure like yeah. oh yeah, yeah. yeah. oh but, definitely yeah i i just remember seeing that we we came across it somehow and uh it's it's the most extreme version of, mm. of that like nero or caligula style <laughs> uh sense of of uh of, of what our civilization is oh, supposed yeah. to be but but then um you know, to a lesser, to, not to a lesser degree, probably to a more effective degree, there is a subtler but still pretty obvious role that pop stars and I'm sure in sync as well played post war on terror being oh, yeah. declared. I mean, I was I was thinking of that with this music video with all this militaristic imagery in the episode. I was thinking about how like Michael Bay got his start as a music mm. video director, and like <laughs> the Transformers films are just commercials for the army. Like they, oh, yeah, yeah, they're some of the most like uh, militaristic films in, yeah. in american history which is really crazy i guess we we talked about marvel movies we didn't actually talk about you know the military's involvement in them and oh, how sure. like if you want to play with their toys you have to be a pro-military movie even things like uh, a nothing movie like monster hunter the video game has nothing to do with the military at all it's like a fictional fantasy world but when you make the movie it's like what if the military fought yeah. these monsters well we can have these tanks and show you how cool the military is 
Yeah, yeah. You you literally enter into a business relationship with mm -hmm. the Pentagon in order to get access to not only tanks, but even just information about what would make this a more accurate scene. Obviously, the toys are the most enticing thing to the filmmakers. But, uh, you know, we I won't go on about it here. But if people are interested, we talk a bit about this in season one of Blowback uh, with uh, Matt Christman, actually. So we, we watch a bunch of Iraq movie uh, Iraq War movies, uh, stinkers, pretty much all of them. I try to discuss a little bit of of the uh, system that that goes on, where it's it's a better version of censorship than waiting for something to come out and then banning it or trimming it, because you just tell them, well, if you want to work on this, let's help you. And they do edit the scripts. They take stuff out. Mm. They alter stuff. Oftentimes they don't really need to, but it because we're such a reflexively pro military country at, at this point. But that is the message. And it's usually not even pro-war. Doesn't have to be pro-war, just pro-military. And I, I sort of, that's what made me think uh, a, a little bit about that during the end of this episode. You know? Yeah, I didn't know there was a Jarhead cinematic universe until that episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but anyway, it, it's it's a very, very, um, there's plenty of information about it, actually, because mm. it doesn't matter if we know about it. It happens anyway. There's something, you know, if you watch a Marvel movie, when you're waiting for the, you know, post-credits stinger and all that, watch those credits and look for where they think the Department of Defense, because <laughs> it likely will show up. And now that it's been pointed out to me that every Marvel movie has a helicopter shot of at least six Jeeps or Hummer-style vehicles driving somewhere, I was like... That is, I watched Black Widow. I was like, ah, there's the Jeep shot. There's the <laughs> shot they have in every movie. I, I think uh, every so often about after Trump uh, drone striked Soleimani, you know, who is a, obviously the whole conversation about him as a figure in, in the Middle East in general, but in Iran was, you know, close close thing you get to a national hero. He's a general, much like we in America allowed our generals. S uh, some political figure in Iran said, who would we hit? Who would we kill if we wanted to kill an American hero? SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> uh, and, and then I think he listed some Marvel. Per I think he said Iron Man or, or SpongeBob as well. And, and that's the thing is that that is the outlet now to, to do this stuff. And if you're making Predator and you want to get some kind of, you know, cheeky relationship with the military so the guns are right... I you know what? That, that's not that is not going to be the deciding factor as to whether or not all the evils of of this country are resolved. I'll I'll take it. But if you're making Black Widow after Black Widow after Captain Marvel after Avengers, and that's where you, all this sh stuff is going down, it's uh it's it's pretty repulsive. You know, at the red carpet for Captain Marvel, they didn't need to put it backwards or make it subliminal. Literal officers of the oh. Air Force were on the red carpet doing interviews like, hey, you know, we're here for the Air Force. They're the real heroes, right? Uh, Dragged to that by by Will and Matt, I wish I because I had never seen a Marvel movie. I know I sound like a prick here, but I, I had never seen one. I just I didn't purposefully avoid them, but I saw that one. And uh, you could see it coming like Christmas. They were doing a little little pageant of oh are these the, the real villains are the are the uh, people is this kind of like an israel palestine thing and the or or you know some kind of colonized people the green the, the green goblin people are, are actually turn out to be the good people that she needs to work with but then just so it's clear she dons the colors of the american flag and the like <laughs> logo of the u.s air force to make it clear that we're always the ones on the side of those people and so just don't i mean it's fine if you you know if, if that's what those movies are i guess but then you see people trying to turn them into documents of progressive blah 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 and it's like just don't try to do that 
if you want to enjoy him, fine, but don't try to turn that into something else, you know. Uh, but uh, I mean, we we could talk all day about. I have one I, thing yeah, to say, I, one yeah. non-intelligent thing to say, not political commentary at all. But this behind-the-scenes stuff, I like how even on the DVDs, the the standard style of the Fox credits from this era are preserved forever digitally. Yes. And uh, the one yeah. thing I don't like about this behind-the-scenes thing, where it's like we're all having fun together, we're gonna make it look like Justin Timberlake was here. I think half of this behind-the-scenes thing is Chris Kirkpatrick fucking around on this whistle, and it's yeah. really annoying really annoying yeah oh yeah you don't get any good vibes off of that that reel at the end really no it's uh i mean the point was to just show off again like that's right in sync was really here and this is really them and now you can see live action in sync all you in sync fans they were here did they do this with you two as well i remember that the other behind the scenes was you two maybe okay they they did do that yeah though this this was even weirder because they also at the bottom had to put a courtesy of the fox family channel on there because it's like it seems like the fox family channel did their own in like ad for it and then simpsons had to ask for their footage <laughs> like but yeah the, the trick of it is that justin timberlake was not there on the commentary first they say there was like a death in the family but then i think that sounded that so he couldn't schedule the same time as them but then kirkpatrick makes a joke that timberlake was already looking to get out of the band yeah. and wasn't doing stuff with them that day like so <laughs> i think it's more likely the second there uh, but yes, oh, yeah. they, they get one final just jab at him with the word word and making it sound like he said he would always say that word. Take that. But yeah, uh, this episode, my final thought is if you want to watch it, just watch the third act. It's a fun six <laughs> minutes. You don't need to know what happens before because it's kind of self-contained and uh, a lot of funny jokes. But uh, again, I wish the songs were funny. It's not a great send up of boy bands or the culture, but the third act is just a fun series of ridiculous jokes that I do like and laugh a lot at. But yeah, that's my final thoughts on this one. You know, Josie and the Pussycats, the film, came out two months after this. On the commentary, they they talk about the his funny similarities. But the writer, Tim Long, he says, like, yeah, a couple years later it was Josie. I was like, no, no, no. It was April 2001, and this was February 2001. It was not – it was – you know concurrent thinking and nobody ripped off the other but that is a better execution of the artifice of pop music and the joke that it's a cover for just a government conspiracy like and that that movie i'm i'm serious it is actually good it is a mm-hmm. really good movie and i i really enjoy that movie this episode as a vehicle for sync, it couldn't be biting enough the songs aren't funny enough the best parts of this episode are when they don't give a single shit about the plot or <laughs> yeah. any consistency and jokes of the missiles being shot while Bart is talking about the stakes, Lisa walking away from a, <laughs> a dangerous thing. All that stuff, that's the best jokes in this yeah. episode. Any final thoughts, Brendan? Yeah, I, I would echo you, Bob, that the third act is... I mean, I was sort of spoiled by the, or rather I soured by the third act when I was watching it. So I, so I didn't realize why my mood was slightly changing, but it actually was full of sort of older style gags, which um, again, to my purely academic uh, education here of like what happened in, in seasons nine through 12 and onward is that the Scully years were pretty heavy where people still would laugh at the, 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 that aspect of the show whereas the uh plots and the character development all kind of takes a back seat and starts to fade and become less important or actively you know antagonizing the fans and i definitely felt that watching this where uh just talking about it right now i'm like yeah that's pretty funny the lieutenant smash character is funny when he actually reveals himself there's that fun uh, george meyer uh vision that 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 uh goes back into sort of 
um, what if there were no lawyers joke. <laughs> it's kind of similar, you know. That that side of the episode was good, and it's just it was an interesting experience to to take mostly my medicine, but with a little <laughs> recognizable doses of sugar in there, you know, mm. where it, you could tell that it's happening, and that's why I am finding myself listening to your guys' show because I am fascinated by the way the show changed. Um, and I, I, I could say decline. I've probably already hinted that we all know that, but like, I'm interested in why, and I'm interested in the moments you can detect certain things shifting. So to finally watch one of these, uh, as a whole episode was, was, um, was an experience. Well, we will never stop because no. we can't, you can't yeah. stop. No. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Brendan. Yes. I was very, I, I, we appreciate it. But yes, Brendan, thanks for being on the show. We're honored to have you on. Please mm-hmm. come back anytime you want, but until then, where can people listen to blowback? And if there's anything else you're working on, like, or your Twitter account, please plug it here. Sure. Um, people can listen to blowback now, uh, wherever they get their podcasts, uh, pretty much it's, it's no longer behind the stitcher premium paywall. By the time you're listening to this, the second season is now totally free. You can find it anywhere, just like the first season. There are some bonus episodes that will probably at this point still be behind the paywall, but they'll also come out. And um, the soundtrack has also just uh, recently come out. I, I wrote and composed the music, and and uh, it's a you know somewhat of a, a big part of the show, so it's nice that people are, are interested in hearing it. And if you want to hear that, you can hear it on Spotify, Apple Music. If you want to go to Bandcamp and pay a little bit for it, you can do that as well. But um, otherwise, you know, we're probably now going to go into hibernation again and see if we can come up with another season. Uh, yeah, we're, we're happy that everyone's still listening and the audience is, is getting a little bit bigger uh, every time we come back. As, as MST3K fans, uh, Bob and I really enjoyed your, your Bill Corbett one <laughs> oh, about, yeah. about Cuba films. That was, that was a fun good. one. I'm still a little starstruck when I'm with Bill. <laughs> like he, he and I are at this point, I guess I can say we're friends. But more than like, we had we, in my old show, we, we have had bigger guests. Uh, technically as far as the marquee you know uh, uh, prestige but no one has ever made me kind of double take that I'm actually talking (laughs) to this voice that was you know pretty much the uh, funniest thing to me in my childhood and he's actually a guy on the other side of the room Crow helped raise me as a child so I feel the same way Uh, yeah but thank you again Brendan yes thank you Brendan it's an honor so thanks so much to Brendan James. Please check out Blowback. We love it. But as for us, if you want to check out more of what we do and get all these episodes one week at a time and at free, please go to patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. Sign up for five bucks a month. You'll get just that, but also access to everything behind the $5 paywall. It's over a hundred bonus podcasts that you haven't heard. If you're not a patron, that includes our limited miniseries. The most recent one that we did was Talking of the Hill season two, part one, but coming very soon at the end of October is our new podcast miniseries, Blabbing Bout batman the animated series blab about btas <laughs> where we're going to go over our 10 favorite episodes of that beloved animated series only for patrons of the five dollar level or higher at patreon.com slash talking simpsons and there is a ten dollar level as well when you sign up for that you get all the five dollar stuff but also access to one mega long podcast once a month only for patrons of that level or higher and what is that henry Bob is talking about the What a Cartoon Movie Podcast. Me and Bob, twice a month on the What a Cartoon Podcast, cover a different animated series super in-depth for a whole lot of history and fun analysis. Then, once a month, we do that for an animated feature film, sometimes over five hours long, about films as diverse as the uh, Disney Renaissance classic Hercules, Hunchback of Notre Dame, or The Lion King. 
or more obscure stuff well you heard brandon mention our shrek one also we did the terrible film cool world coming soon rotel dorado and uh, a giant back catalog over 160 hours of what a cartoon movies you get at that ten dollar level in addition to all of the five dollar stuff bob just talked about please consider checking out all the stuff we have at patreon.com slash talking simpsons so as for me i've been one of your hosts bob Mackey. check me out on twitter as at bob servo and my other podcast by the way is retronauts that is a classic gaming podcast about old video games find that wherever you find podcasts or go to patreon.com slash retronauts sign up there for two full-length bonus episodes every month and henry how about you Follow me on Twitter at H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. At H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G keeps you up to date with all the things going on in the Henry Gilbert world. You should also follow on Twitter the official Twitter account of this podcast, at Talk Simpsons Pod. At Talk Simpsons Pod, following that, will let you know whenever new podcasts go up on the Patreon, on the free feeds, and whenever we got a poll going on for upcoming stuff, news in our world, you stay up to date if you follow at Talk Simpsons Pod on Twitter. Thanks so much for joining us, folks. We'll see you next time for Season 2's Principal Charming, and we'll see you then. Yeah. <laughs> well, short. He's about this tall. Don't print that. Oh! Word. <laughs> it just sounds like something I would Shh. say.